Welcome to another episode of Supercoach Insider. My name is Chris. And I'm Swizz. Excellent. And uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, it is, the, the hour is nigh, my friends. And uh, we're getting right to the the uh, the real work, where the real work starts to kick in, the end of the preseason. And the season's almost here. So we're actually come to answer a few of your questions out there. Um, we've got a massive podcast lineup coming out to you over the next few days. Uh, we just did a, a podcast with uh, the Centre Bounce where we discussed the top five rucks. And um, over the next few days, we're, we're going through with a whole bunch of different content creators and discussing all the major lines and all the issues across Supercoach. So keep an eye out for all those. But today we thought we'd get on to some of your questions. Um, and I just wanted to get one out the way quickly because it does sort of overlap with a, a podcast that we're going to. So Kata, and the, this has actually got the most likes, which is great. Great news because we already had this one planned. but Kata said, best five rookies sub 200K from defense, mids, and forwards. So, Kata, we are actually doing a, a, a podcast specified just on this topic. Um, we're doing that with JP, um, who was last year's winner, uh, and that will be recorded tomorrow night. So, um, look forward to that one coming through. But, uh, Swizz, do you want to get us uh, kicked off, mate? You've got a couple there that, uh, that have been sent through directly to you. We'll, we'll start there, and then we'll go through this, um, this post that we had with some questions from the community. Yeah, okay, we'll start off. Uh, this one literally just came through there, so I'll hop, hop off the press for Christian, who I think is in our draft league, our keeper draft league. Um, he's uh, asking with uh, Sam Mitchell talking down Cam McKenzie, saying, uh, you know, they've got a, quite a few options that they can go with. Um, do we have confidence that he's going to be picked round one or at least be confident that he's uh, going to be a viable rookie for us to start? Uh, Chris has uh, taken off everything there. Can you hear that, mate? Did you hear that? Oh, you're going the uh, he's he's got he's got the other um, earphones on that. <laughs> so, did you hear that question, mate, at all, or did you uh, just completely uh, leave me? It went, it went blank, but it's we're good. We're back. We're back to it. <laughs> okay. So, I uh, asked so Christian from our our podcast um, Keeper League asked us uh, with Sam Mitchell talking down Cam McKenzie the other day, um, saying mm-hmm. there's a lot of other options that they can run through. Um, is uh, McKenzie still a viable starting option, uh, especially at his price when, yeah, there could be a risk that he could be either sub or be left out through Hawthorne's rotation? Uh, look, it's a valid question. I think that, yeah, ultimately we'll find out for round one uh, prior to that. If he's not listed in the in the 22 uh, on field, you do have to question that a little bit. But from what I saw and from the from what I see saw from him in his junior days as well, He's much better and a much better user of the football in that role in that position, and looked comfortable doing it against Collingwood, who are one of the more seasoned um, midfielders. Obviously, not super defensive, but definitely got a lot of experience in that midfield. Um, I just don't like their other options at the Hawks, and like there's guys like Warpole still getting a game, who I don't rate at all, and they do have a lot of talent coming through. But I'd have to say that he's the one that has the most scope to be a premium midfielder in the future. So when I say that, I mean like, you know, you guys, you got guys like Josh Ward in there. You've got um, guys like Warple, as I mentioned, 
are these guys going to be a really top end midfielder? Probably not. Cam McKenzie's one that's got the scope to be able to really come onto the scene out of the gate and impress. And he could be one to even rival um, rising star nominations and things like that. That's how good I think he could be and is. He's one you're going to want to have if he gets named. So, diff- yeah, I can understand if he's not on the coach's radar in that in that sense. But I watched an interview with Sam Mitchell after the uh, at halftime, and they were, he was talking him up and raving about him. So I'm not as scared of that pick as I was. Um, yeah, I, I think I, I, if it's me, I'm, I'm having him on my field. And worst case scenario is he's obviously can be rotated to bench. And that's why I kind of do feel that you're getting the probably the three best rookies in the midfield are, you know, Cam McKenzie, Will Phillips, and Ashcroft. You know, I am of the opinion that you probably start two of those on field and one from the bench. So who's that on field? Probably going to be Cam McKenzie and Ashcroft with, with Phillips coming off the bench. But if it turns out that that rotation doesn't work for McKenzie, you could move him to the bench, et cetera. So, I don't think he's one you're going to want to skip. So, yeah, that's yeah. where I've got I, I, no radical layer at the moment because I've got Phillips sitting on the bench, McKenzie on, so I can swap them at any point. The only thing that makes me kind of reconsider if, you know, the, the him playing on a Sunday in the teams and he's on the extended bench and then I go, okay, radical layer comes in, Davey goes as my swing and comes forward and then Oscar Baker, after his performance the other day, now swap, swaps around with Phillips and Cam McKenzie's the one that gets left out, thinking that Radicalia might have a better job security. But if I like, I, if I can find the cash to go all of it for sure, because I think Cam McKenzie's yeah. definitely they're, they're going to want to play him through the, some midfield. Um, and I think that's surely Hawthorne's way this year. You know, Josh Ward, Cam McKenzie, a bit like GWS. Finally, let's see the connection. Tom Green out to Finn Callahan there on the wing. Um, you know, they, it's kind of a bit of a free hit with them with a new coach. Dan Mitchell, you know, showed what they could do last year with some senior players. They've moved all those senior guys on. So sure, you're going to get as much of that talent and games into them and, and put them in positions where they're going to learn very quickly. So I think, you know, that's that's surely going to be a, a role in there for Cam McKenzie. The other thing as well to note is that um, we, we say this every year. It's like, oh, the Sunday squads, you're not going to know who's in the team, blah, blah. Um, realistically, that that week before round one, all those videos go around with all the rookies, you know, calling their mums and dads and blah, blah. So we're going to know, like, you know, it's not like we're not going to know if they're actually playing. Whether or not it's a sub is a question. Of course, that would be something of, of conjecture. But I don't think it's going to be a mystery if he's going to be in the team or not. The other thing is they're playing Essendon. So it's not like it's a big bruising team or anything like that. Like, you know, you want to try and ease him in. Like, you know, Essendon's a team that you could play him in that starting midfield and he would be completely fine, you know. Play him off as uh, Zach Merritt or something like that and just let him run around with a premium midfielder and see what sort of damage you can do in the, it, against uh, a really, good, really good opponent. I think that that would be something. Yeah, Zachy's going to get probably 40, but you can hurt him the other way. He's not really a defensive midfielder. Yeah. So you just go to Cam and say, okay, maybe follow him around a bit. But at the same time, you... Or, or maybe go the other way, you know, back yourself, go get that ball. And if you can get it 20 times, well, it would be wrapped with you on that. So, yeah. So I think overall that we're, we're probably in the both consensuses. You probably need to have him regardless, but just keep an eye on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if he's bench, he's probably going to be good enough to make you money throughout the season that you don't have to worry about it. Um, I also think that the, the bench, just this is an overall structure talk, I guess, but the, the midfield bench is really shallow. 
I'm, I'm finding I'm, the only way I'm filling out my midfield bench is by getting guys that are you know, DPP forward or defenders because I don't like a lot of the, <clears> the, the pure mid options in the midfield on the bench. So even guys like Baker, he's probably the best of a bad bunch, but you know he's probably the one that's probably most inclined to be a sub out of all those. You know Johnson's dropped off the radar. He's probably not going to have any time in that midfield. Matty Roberts doesn't look like he's going to get any time over at Sydney. Like, who is the other guys? There's some small forwards that might get a shout. Um, uh, Darcy from GWS may get a may get a game here or there. Or you know there yeah, are I think other guys. A couple but, of the taller like Sam Sturt and um, Connor Stone. Yeah, are like your 190 centimeter types. Which you know we've already got Connor Fergus Green doing that. Um, and he's got more experience because of his VFL and former, you know, stint in at AFL with the Bulldogs. So, um, but you might actually midfielders, his role. and that yeah, yeah, there's not there's not a huge lot. So that's why I've liked Phillips at M9 because I've got more confidence then. If something yep. goes wrong, I'd rather swap, yeah, him Bakes and um, and McKinsey around, yep. given what you know what their role might be that any given week, and just hope. That you know, if one does start as a sub one week, and that it's um you know I've got enough time to make that swap before the game, um for the other yep. one or hopefully that one's playing you know after, or, or you know beforehand so I can make that swap. And uh, another six. reason to uh, <coughs> for, for for this as well is uh if you're playing say Radagalia R three and your <laughs> loop therefore is in your midfield so M eleven loop which is how I plan on on having my starting team is if you do get a score like a 80-plus or something from a McKenzie or a Phillips, you can loop them on field. So there are options to be able to do that within structures. Um, so just to, just advise that, yeah, that's the way you're going about it, as opposed to going, you know, McKenzie at, say, uh, what, M7 and then Phillips at M8. Try and get one of those guys to the to the bench, and then you've got security in that. Have you taken out and Madden and put in Blake Drury on that from Gathering? Yes. Yep. Interesting. I was actually going to ask that, but I might actually go there as the next question. That what is the best loop situation? Because a lot of people obviously going Madden. Um, some people I know have been in the thought that you don't start a loop, and that's usually my thing, thinking that one will eventually break out. But and then, they, yeah. but then does that put you too behind with the the no VC or C option? And is it worth to have Madden? especially if you've got Radicalia and then that gives you a link and then hopefully Gorn or your DC or whoever, then you've got already that loop that will able to give you the ruck um, forward flexibility. Or is it yeah. in your case going jury and having the forward mid flexibility or is it even maybe defensive mid uh, that, but I think there's a probably enough defensive um, rookies. Do you have um, any thoughts if there's a better one? Yeah, so there's three there's there's three ways to go about it. So obviously starting just a you know, regular classic R three loop is fine. Um, if you this is obviously you know you don't have to start a loop, which is what you mentioned, but I'm leaning towards starting a loop that is probably going to play later in the season. So someone like a jury who probably won't get a game from round one, but is likely to play at some point during the season is good for me. But I can also see the benefits in not starting him so that you've got a downgrade option. So I suppose it's a bit of a way up. Someone like a Josh Sin as well who is likely to get games, but he's probably not going to play right off the bat. Um, I know that a lot of people went Elijah Hollands last year and that ended up voting really well for them with his great scores in the, in, right at the end of the season. So there are ways that you can go about it. That's the way that I'm leaning towards now that we've got a viable R3. If we didn't have a viable R3, but often this, this, happened, this happened for the last 
two or three years where we've had um, some great rookie rucks that have come through and scored a lot of points, made a lot of cash, and then we've been able to actually capitalize on that. And I think that we'd want to do that as we go. Where we see the opportunity to make cash, we should try and make it. For someone like Eradicalia, we should try and get them. If you're not on field, that's fine. Having them in R3 would be great. Downgrade option, you'll just sit there on your pine, maybe not do anything for you, but it'll get to 300K quite easily. And then bang, you got 200, 200K upgrade down to, a, down to a potential loop or to a potential other playing player. Um, so yeah, I do actually think that there is some, some other ways to be able to facilitate that. I personally, if I'm going to be running a midfield loop, I want it to be someone who's going to be playing at some point. So whether that's Jury or Sin, I like both of those options. Um, you could also go, the, the other thing I've thought of is someone like, a, let's say, uh, Cowan gets named ahead of Sin Cotter round one. You could have Cowan in your defense, Sin Cotter in your loop. He could be your loop. And then a yeah, bad game from Cowan, since Sin Cotter come through, bang, he put, goes into defense. And then you've still got a loop but you're just switching it around. So and that's why I brought up defensive midfielder before because yeah. the, all reports is they're going to go one and not both, mm-hmm. where I think I'd rather start both. And if they're going to chop and change, at least I've got one of them in there. And then, yeah, one becomes that defensive, other becomes that loophole um, any given week for me. So the yeah, big captain's there because I think that will be the case. The Blues probably won't play both of them. Uh, all reports is Sincotta will be the one that'll get the first start because he's the mature age guy. But I don't think Cowan will be too far away. And it could be just a case Sincotta plays 2-3. Cowan, you go back to the reserves. Bang, you're in now. Sincotta, you're back out. And it might be swapping again with Ollie Davies because Sincotta did play up on the wing the other day um, where Ollie, Day- oh, Ollie Davies, sorry, Ollie um, Hollands um, did as well. So the 162K, I think he is, um, Carlton rookie. So... Um, yep. It could even be all three of them swapping them. They might play two. They might just play one. Um, yeah, so I think that that's definitely an option there if you're looking for something different to Madden. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so did you have another one? Yeah, there, I had one last question, which was direct. I had asked me just before about, uh, yeah, somebody else also asked me about Tyler Young from Richmond. Um, so I, I don't know. If they, I haven't had this confirmed yet, but we've been getting messages saying he's been getting confirmed for round one. I don't know if something put out. I I'm on all the Richmond forums, haven't had anything come through there, but the 102K rookie from Richmond who um, apparently if he's Tarrant or maybe even Tommy Lynch is out and Bolter plays forward and, and there, or um, but they do have a couple of injuries, especially in that Richmond back line at the moment. Um, the rumour is that it looks like Young could be playing round one. So would we consider starting him as a super coach option? Uh, for me, you know, I know last week we had Gipkus, Gipkus was a high draft pick, um, much more confidence in him than I am for Tyler Young going forward. Um, I guess if you're really stuck for cash and you potentially that's where your, your loophole might open up and go, okay, I'm going to start this guy knowing he might only play two, three, four games. And obviously he's in there thinking from round one. So he might get more games throughout the year, but I think there's better defensive options than, than him. Chris. Yeah. I mean, I, uh... I look at their run, you know, obviously Carlton round one, that's not good for a, what, what is he? Is, is he a fullback? Is he? Like, yeah, I, I think he's about in that, that weird height again, but um, let me. Because, I mean, obviously that. playing, you know, against um, you know, Charlie Kurnow and Hannah McCoy. He might even be a bit more taller. Because uh, I, I, for some reason, I thought he was about 193. He's 196, 97 Ks. Okay. Yeah, so he's going to play a traditional, say, fullback or something like that. Yeah. 
and yeah, so I mean, yeah, round one against Harry Mackay and Charlie Mature Campbell, that's not great. And then the next week they've got Adelaide, so you know, Tex Walker you might be the matchup there. That's not a great matchup for a rookie. Um, round round three they do play the Pies, so that's not too bad. I mean, Dan McStay is obviously. I, I think people are thinking because it's mature but age, but he's a key defender for a reason. I think he's just going to be that dower. You go out there, just lock down, yeah. and probably scores twenty to thirty. And that'll be yep. he'd probably be the least scoring player on the field, even with maybe the sub. Yeah, I look. We we also just don't have enough information. He just look. There's 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 enough defender rookies that we don't really have to stress on it. Mm. And worst case scenario is you get you get to round three, he's got a huge break even, and you need to get him in. Okay, then we look at it. Yeah. It could be just a rookie correction, but to me, I don't think he's one you look at at this stage to lock into your teams. The worst thing you can do from a structure perspective is lock in a 102K guy early that maybe drop round two, round three or whatever, and then you don't have the money to bring him up. He's not made you any money. You've just got to sit him at D7 for the rest of the year. Like It's happened to me before where I've had one player that just never made any money, was never able to sideways him, tried to get him out in the buys, and it ruined the whole season just from that one simple mistake. Um, always better start with a more expensive option if you can, especially on the bench for that reason. So um, I can yeah, see that. That's... It's going to trap a few people in. I think you'll get, because Richmond Carlton are usually the first game. Um, obviously, we get our rookies first. So people yep. try to lock him in. Oh, here's a rookie, especially 102K. How can we not lock him in? Um, so I think some will. And then, yeah, come round three, you'll be like, oh, everyone's back at Richmond. Now what happens? And you, you never know. You might get a game or two later in the year, but. It's then you're relying on, you know, he's probably six, seventh in the depth chart. So, yeah, yeah, yep. that's, that's, that's the issue right there. All right. Well, All we'll right. get on to the, um, the rest of the questions. So, the first one I got here from, uh, from Supercoacher is uh, Yo versus Day. Um, so, do you want to give us your thoughts on that one as the mid price? I think ultimately, not a lot of people are running two mid prices in defense, mainly because Bose has sort of dropped off of the map. Um, and I probably wouldn't call, say, Liam Jones a necessarily mid-pricer. He's more rookie-priced. So really people are looking at that one position that they're looking at for the mid-pricer, and it's generally speaking, Yo and Day are the other two options everyone's talking about. What do you think about those guys? Well, I think I sent Supercoach Twitter into meltdown when um, they said, who has <laughs> dropped out of your team from the weekend? And I said, it was Elliot Yo. He is back in there at the moment because it's just the price. Uh, but I didn't think he actually looked that good. Probably looked a bit unfit still playing defensive midfielder. I would have preferred to see him zoning off at halfback. The thing is, he is still playing midfield and didn't play that much time on ground, probably just because of fitness, um, but hasn't done a lot wrong in preseason. So surely, like, if he can still get a 78 with, you know, like 50-odd percent, whatever he played on the weekend, and, um, you know, he, and he's going to probably work into it. Uh, he, yeah, I feel like he's probably a safer option with Day. Day would be great if I knew what his role would be, but they've got so many options for the midfield. So you know M1's Newcomb for them. But then is it Warple? We just talked about McKenzie and, and Josh Ward. Uh, so you've got them, you know, you've got guys like Connor Nash, Connor McDonald um, played a little bit of lockdown and can go through there. And then McGuinness, who they clearly want to use as the tagger through there. So even if you just go Newcomb, McGuinness straight off, there's two midfield spots. And that's before we've got into your warps and stuff like that. So how much midfield time is he going to get there? So that that puts it probably across there. And then you've got to then go, okay, so that juicy half-back role, well, they've got GF, um, you know, 
Grimshaw, who else have they used over there in the past? I think Bramble's pulled some kick outs. Yeah, and, and he was taking kick outs again. Yeah. I've actually looked at Bramble as a potential mid pricer. Yeah. Like, yeah. He's one he's actually one to watch. Mm. Like he could jump out the box and we could go, Oh, Bramble, where did all these scores from Bramble go? But yeah. He's had a traditionally very good scoring history in the Supercoach. So yeah, one to watch Bramble. Don't write that Definitely. one off yet. So he's only just over three hundred K. So again I look and go, okay, Day doesn't have the, that great half back role. That you'd want to, and that's before even getting onto the on Sicily, who's just you know got the monopoly down there. So where does Will Day fit in? I feel like he's he, he reminds me a bit of a better version of um, Connor Nash, of that who can just float and fill a lot of gaps for them. Um, and I think that's where sort of Day goes through and say, okay, we know you can play half back. Maybe you start there, or we've had an injury, or maybe we'll give you a you know that second midfield rotation come through there. Uh, but with with mid prices, at least with Yo, as I said, I, w- I would have liked him in the juicier role of that halfback flanker. That looks like Jaden Hunt's actually playing that as um, on top of you know obviously McGovern and they've got you know Barras and other options as the call options as the intercept markers. But he's still got a defined role in that midfield. Um, where yeah, and, and we even talk about the um, the mid price midfielders like your Sheeds and your Hoppers. You know where they're playing. So but Day, so I've got no confidence in Day's role. So you've got to go Yo on that. But for those people who, and I think Yo is in 50%, a lot of people are looking at trying to get Yo up to, say, Ridley or up to one of the primos. Um, I, I really like that move if you, if you can put the cash elsewhere and, and do it there. Um, so I've got no problem if people want to fade both. Yeah. Um, I would have to agree with you in regards. So I'm actually not 100% that I would I want. If, I, if there was a way that I could probably get off the O pick, I probably would. What's convinced me and what I actually spoke about in my podcast, uh, earlier pod team reveal is that he's in so many teams now that it's really damaging if he goes big and you're not on him. And it's it's almost like, okay, I just got to have him in my team just because even if day just happens to go better, which is, I'm not sure what the percentage chances are of that. You haven't won by that much. It's not going to be, he's not going to be a lights out pick where you're going to Everyone needs Will Day. Like he's not going to average 110 over the first five rounds and go, oh my gosh, I need Will Day. Like that's really out of this world. Left left field, not going to happen. But there's a chance that Yo does burn you, and there's a chance that Yo becomes a keeper. There's a chance that Yo, yeah, can go on a on a heater and average 105 over however many weeks. And if you're not on him, and everyone else is on him, then your season's over. So the safety in numbers with Yo is probably more important than trying to have an ego pick like day work out, especially when it's 30K more expensive. Just doesn't really work in your favor. Yeah. Um, and, and, day, and day's highest ever score is 122. Like, yeah. And he, well, he's scored 100 maybe twice or something in his career. Like he's not, yeah, I, I've got no confidence. In, as you said, the hurt factor there. He's not yeah. coming out and going, you know, 120, 120. Because he's and just we never just said we just said that Yo didn't look that great, but I mean their PPMs, the points per minute, were almost identical. It's not like one of them is right now a much better pick than the other one. So take take the safety approach. Just go with Yo just for safety purposes. If you really want the option to be able to change today, that's fine. Leave thirty k in your bank, and then go into round three and, and reassess. But I just don't think it's worth um, going through the, those hassle or the stress. Of not having him just just to say that I I chose Day instead of Yo, mm. um, I, I don't think that's one that you go unique on anyway. Not my no, opinion. I think I think there's even a couple other better options than Day. Like the question even was, 
Benny Long, but with Constable, if Constable wasn't playing, possibly that would have been a better conversation with him versus Yo. Yeah. Um, just because of role again, um, that's what it comes down to. All right, uh, on to the next one. So the break evens, uh, <clears throat> great guys, by the way. Um, they've got some uh, versus picks that they want us to go through and, and get our thoughts on. So the, their first are Cogs versus Gold, uh, Goulden. I always say Golden. Yeah. Um, so better. what do you think? So just 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 you're off the top of the head, Cogs or or Goulden? I've got Goulden. Yep. Um, and they've got. I also have have Goulden. I actually dropped Cogs to Goulden. Uh, wits versus English. Wits. I also have Wits over English. Uh, and Zebel versus Flanders. Zebel. Yeah. Um. Uh, just just adding on that, I've also got Zebel. We're all three locked on that one. We, we just for those <laughs> playing at home, this week has been me and Swizz going back and forth, going, "Oh, what do you think about this?" And me going, "That's what I changed my team to." <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That team is way too too alike in that. It's probably why I delayed yeah. putting out my pod, going, "Okay, is there any way I can make a change here?" So it's just not a carbon copy of Chris, right? Uh, the we we talked a bit about in our um in our Rux pod that'll come out with the with the boys from Centre Bounce, but. I think English probably averages more than that, but it will probably play less games. Where Wits is that safety option, and I just like the you know the guy that I can back myself in, and he even early on could be a VC or even a C option, um, just because some of the matchups that he yeah, especially VC um, round yep. one, uh, where I think Zebel Flanders. If I knew for again the role, um, I would have loved to see with Tukin, um, yep. and I think he could be one that yeah might uh, you know do really well and might have to be a correction. But is it just like we've, we've seen it before with um, with Lissangio Rank and Darcy McPherson. They've had guys like this who have had games where they've picked up 25, 30 possessions, maybe get a goal to. It's never been consistent. And it's always seems to be the big three in there as it is. So I'm not, yep. I don't have as confidence. Where Zebra, we know, you know, even the other day, what did he get? Was it 80 or something? But it was from like 15 possessions or 80. something. 86 from 15 possessions, including possessions. No. He only had two marks. Yeah. He had two marks. That's not, so, that's, that's uncanny. That's right. And even more the point now is North without Ben McKay probably does alter um, their back line. So even if you thought maybe Core or even Griffin Lowe coming in might take some intercept marks, well, those guys, or if it's young, they're going to have to all play lockdown. Um, yep. And Zebel definitely is just going to be the one that's freed up to. Do what he wants He's to do down there, so I've got a lot more confidence yeah. in that. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, obviously, again, you know, we say this about a thousand times, but starting with the more expensive one, you can always correct down if you need to. But it's it's rare that we get someone with Flanders' role that just jumps out of the box. You know, that high half forward that pushes into the midfield. You know, that's Zach Butters in a nutshell. But he, even he was never able to get to that really good scoring average without getting at least some sort of midfield mix. Um, and I think last year he had somewhere between 25 to 40%. And it was just enough to just kick those, you know, 90 scores over to that 110, 115, 120 sometimes. I just think that it's just really limiting when you're not going to be around the ball as much as you probably should be. And I know he got 30 disposals, but I can't see him be able to do that that regularly on a, in a normal season game. I don't think that 30 is going to be a common thing for him. If it is great, and I mean, he didn't score amazing with the thirty disposals anyway. I mean, um, what, did he, yeah. what did he end up going for? Well, so, Suns have a horror draw to start off with. Yeah, absolute horror draw. Like, yeah, like there's a 
every kit like there's a few games yeah, in there where you go okay maybe you know there's the north game or whatever but to start against sydney and geelong in the first three weeks you know the yeah. two coming off the grand final three are away um i think that's in south australia but still obviously traveling you know they've got the tigers down in melbourne they've got um you know melbourne as well i think that's all in their first seven weeks so you could be looking yeah. at they're playing maybe the top four or five teams in the in that period and if he's coming off the half forward flank um yeah, you got to ask questions there going how where's he getting this you know this big boost in those matches and stuff so yeah i, I don't i think they might even play brisbane straight off that too so there's another another tough one um so yeah i don't oh, compare to like Debo, who's yeah, even it's just you know, like it doesn't matter if West Coast are, I mean, North Melbourne are getting smashed um, because Zebo is going to see plenty of ball down there. But even against a team like West Coast, who are lacking forwards at the moment, you know, you think West Coast their their forward entry was terrible the other day. They kick yeah. it in, and there will still be rebound marks in those sort of matches. So that was those two, and then Cogs. Well, I didn't answer that, but um, apart from Golden getting you know like massively CBA. Um, numbers through that preseason, but I still think there's an increase for him. Where Cogs was playing that more, I guess, defensive midfielder, um, he still won some clearances because he's, you know, he's still good enough. But when you've got Tom Green and Kelly in there, um, they're I think playing more the attacking midfielders. And um, yeah, I was kind of worried a little bit about Cogs' role we talked about before with, with Yo being that defensive midfielder. Every team's got one, um, and I, but I've got more confidence with Yo um, doing it, or even say Setterfield because of their price. Where you know you, you're still good enough to go 90 in that role, but are you going to go like 110? And and that's where Cogs you price at a premium price. Um, yeah. And he's still going to have a good average for a forward, but why wouldn't I just get somebody doing the same role for 200,000 cheaper? Well, the thing with and I'll just quickly touch on that. So with thing with Cogs is that after the game, Kingsley actually said, "No, nah, there's nothing wrong with him. He just had a bit of a corky, so yeah, we can take it easy with him because I think he only played like." percent time on ground or something like that um but they he, he said we still plan to play him a lot forward so i don't know what that split looks like obviously but that's not a great sign of the three that of the three main guys he'll probably have less cbas than the other two and so i worry that he potentially may not get up to that sort of 110 which is where i valued him at early in the preseason from what he produced at the back end of last year so i don't think he's going to be able to do that which means i think that his price probably either hovers or drops so to me he's not a must-have now on to Flanders, he had 30 touches for 103 SC. So, yeah, that's that's a lot of touches. That means, obviously, a lot of uncontested ball. Um, he had seven marks in that. Uh, you know, So he's not going to be a lights-out performer because let's say he averages, say, somewhere between 20 to 25 touches. That means that the maximum SC output is going to be somewhere like 80 to 85, maybe 90. Um, it's just not conducive enough to really be a huge – like it's not going to kill you. Whereas Zebel's got the opportunity to be a keeper. You know, he could be an average, you know, 95 to 105 and just keep him for the whole year at that price. It's pretty good. Um, all right, moving on to the uh, so there was another extension onto that. And he said, thoughts on the role Clary played wasn't good to watch, but uh will but will that stick or is it just trialing? So I'll I'll just lead off with what with my thoughts because I'm pretty strong on this. Um there's I had a bit of a chat on um, the FTTV Discord about this. The thing with Clary, I, I don't hate him as a pick, by the way. I, I've been a big Clary person pretty much all preseason. But the club now have come out and said they want to roll, rotate more people through there. 
Christian Petrarca came on and said he'll be playing uh, forward more and there'll be some different roles for um, Clayton Oliver. They then roll it out through the preseason to see what that looks like. He had 22% less CBAs in his season average last year and was rolling in off the halfback. So there's three pieces of evidence that suggest that Clary's role is not going to be exactly what Clary's role was last year. So at 700K, we run the risk of not believing anything that they've actually, the club and everyone has said and shown, but we're just going on blind faith that no, he'll be right. And I just go, well, maybe. And there is a chance that, yep, maybe that is nothing to worry about at all. And he goes in along and averages 130. Or maybe, maybe we just ease off a little bit, wait and see. And then, you know, if we need to readjust, we readjust at round three or, or further into the season. I just don't think it's really the best solution to be running Clary, especially if it's just Clary and not Laird. I can understand if you're doing both. Because then you're sort of protected regardless. You can roll off to round three. You get to round three and you go, okay, Clary down to uh, Neil or Clary down to McRae or Steele or whatever, whoever's going crazy. You've got an option there because you can always just jump off in round three. But if you're just going Clary, then you just, you've only really got one option then to go Clary to Laird or whatever it may be. And I just don't love that as, a, as an option. I'd rather be on Laird or on both and not on Clary alone. So that's just my opinion. But... Um, I'm getting shut down for it all the time. So you, you, you take over the floor. And no, no, I don't. I like, I've always said you need one or the other because they're the best captain options. But clearly Melbourne, now it probably changed a little bit because of uh, Vining's injury. Uh, but still, there, there's a clear thought there for Melbourne that they, you know, the, the hard thing with them last year, they're, they're like round 10, they're unbackable for the premiership because everything they were doing, the pro, but you're always getting, you know, watched and dissected by every other team out there. And then what ended up happening is, you know, teams have had enough time to then a lot of these assistant coaches, because remember, coaches work, you know, 70 to 100 hours a week, ridiculous amount of time that they go putting through opposition. So Melbourne's the team you've got to dissect. And you look through it and go, okay, it was gone. Every, kind of everyone knew sort of what Jackson's role was. And then it was Oliver Petrarca and then Viney in there with Brayshaw, you know, more of that halfback role that could push up in the wing and stuff. So you could actually see, you knew what Melbourne was doing. So if you had the, the right, talent on there who could, you know, follow the game plan you wanted, you could put Melbourne in a way where you could stop their influence and that. And that might have been by putting more pressure on the forwards, you know, they were kicking to or might have put more pressure around the ball or whatever. They became very predictable teams. Now that they're obviously trying to get Pickett up the ground, because Pickett offers a bit different than that. So even if it's Pickett goes from, I don't want to use percentage last year, but it was really low um, CBAs, but you, you might increasing to 20%. It's something different there through that. You know, you could see the um, Grundy and Gorn both starting that midfield and that and go, okay, Grundy, you're going to play this, you know, 5%, 10% as a non-baller. But I feel like Melbourne are going to change things different to make other coaches think, oh, hang on, they could throw anything at us at any time. Um, and that's going to obviously help with their premiership tilt. So Oliver, yes, his best position is around the ball and they'll want him around there as much as, much as possible. But We've never actually seen Clary, you know, do like what Bont does and go up forward or, you know, start off on a wing like Martin McCray did, but still push in and around the contest. So maybe he loses a tagger or maybe it's just something that an opposition haven't thought of. So I think Melbourne have the ability to win enough games where they can troll some of this stuff through season. And I think that's where, you know, it, it might be like we were talking with McCray. It might be a case where it's, it's only 5% or 10% CBAs. 
but that could be enough to put his score down five, ten points. Uh, and he, that where that 120 to 130 becomes a 115 to 120 guy. Um, that's pretty much where I sit with it. I don't think it's changing yeah. that much that's going to be like, oh, my gosh, it's going to be a bad pick. No. But he, he drops down to 600K at that if he goes down to 115, right? Yeah. So that's the thing. Is like Then I can pick him up at a reasonable price and save myself 100K off the starting price. Um, the other thing I wanted to, to quickly just mention there as well, in regards to Melbourne, I don't know if you saw um, a recent uh, – uh, Dale Thomas was chatting on radio, on listener app, and he mentioned that they mentioned on the uh, one of their Triple M broadcasts or whatever that he picked out that Stephen May last year, every time that they were at one end of the ground, he, they would kick to a certain side, and every time they were at the other end of the ground, they'd kick to another, at the other certain side. And he said, yeah, he announced it in round 10, and then they started losing after that. because, And he thinks that he's to blame for Melbourne not winning the premiership last year because uh, opposition coaches worked out how to play them from defense but that's true they are the most predictable team from fullback of all time they just go to to the corners on one of each side but they could even tell which side they were going based on which end they were starting at yeah. so that was that's and they could, crazy but they and there was no reason for them not to just back the talent that they had in that oh yeah. we're going to win the game create a contest yeah whatever yeah but these coaches are you know they get paid a lot of money because they spend a lot of hours dissecting teams. This is what they get paid for, and they have a ton of assistance around them doing this as well. So that's yeah. where now I think Goodwin's gone. We've got players on the list here. Like Melbourne have one of the better squads going around, especially a better 22, a few underrated players on there, where they can be a bit more flexible. I don't need to go like full Bevo like the Bulldogs do, yeah. and, you know, start playing like, you know, Caleb Daniel in the Ruck or something like that. But they've got enough talent in that squad where they can go, okay, Maybe this bounce at Petrarca um, with Pickett and, and Grundy starting as the, on, on the on-ballers. And let's just see maybe Oliver, like um, Carlton did a couple of times last year, Sam Walsh started at half-forward flank and yes. rolled up yep. straight away. And that, so, you know, what, what's the match? Claring then gets D6 on him at that centre bounce and rolls up. Well, yeah, it, it's, it throws a different dynamic. And I was like, oh, my God, now, now they've, you know, how do we match that up? So... I think we'll see a bit of that for Melbourne, especially early on. Um, and, you know, maybe through the big games when they're playing, you know, New Geelongs and Brisbane's and that, we'll get the more traditional Clary track, um, Viney, for that, for those matches. But, yeah, you know, and what it does is it confuses, think... confuses matchups, obviously. Yeah. It gives them a different angle to throw at them. I mean, Geelong, with, Geelong did this again. It's all based on what Geelong has been doing to be able to keep their list as good as they could possibly do during the season. So by the time they get to the finals, everybody's fresh, everyone's good, and you don't know what sort of centre bounce mix you're going to get. It makes it hard for opposition coaches. Yeah, how do they do yeah, this? Uh, if if Blitzarves goes here, what do we do? Well, Geelong with that? beat us blah, blah, blah. really in that they never three goals behind us and put Jeremy Cameron in the midfield and turned the yeah, game. So that's exactly the sort right. of stuff where we'll talk about with Barry Grundy. So yeah, to answer that question, um, I think it's led. Um, I don't mind the Neil pick that some people go with because we know he has hot starts as well. And might yep. be that's one way. The, the obvious one would have been Took. I know some people still want to get on him. I just don't like picking people who have had soft tissue injuries in preseason. Yeah. It's just my biggest yep. no-no in in fantasy sports, and especially like Supercoach. It's just, you know, not the saying, you know, he fit as a fiddle and looked really good, but, you know, you are playing with a little bit of fire with that, um, where, yeah, like, yeah, Neil next to Dunkley, you know, I don't think Neil is going to average more, but definitely can maintain his average and be still that good captaincy option. Yeah. So. I like it. 
All right, let's move on to the next question. We've got a few here that sort of double up and I'll just run through some. So Nelson Moody, I think this is a great option for a podcast and we should probably do one. But I'll just give a shout out to uh, Nelson. I used to work with him. Great bloke. Thanks oh, nice. Question, Nelson. He just said, uh, would love each of us to rate each other's teams, which would be, I think, a great little pod. Um, unfortunately, our teams would be identical. So it's the best team, team ever. It's awesome. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> um, we got another one from Supercouch Potato that obviously um, asked, should we down, downgrade Cogs to, to Goulden? So, um, we've already touched on that one. Uh, the the fiddler actually said that he um, he went with Taranto out instead. So I'd like to touch on that because um, I did a a little bit of a deep dive, probably a little bit too much of a deep dive. I tend to get real involved with statistics. Um, and to Taranto, I think is a guy that is just he's just going to find the ball regardless of what he's going to be able to do. I mean, we saw that in the weekend just from the pure fact that he had eight marks. And there's, I don't remember the last time I saw a Richmond midfielder take eight marks in a game of football. So he's going to be able to find the pill regardless. And that sort of scares me a little bit in regards to his scoring potential because I was of the opinion that um, the way that Richmond play, they have a lower rock contest than virtually most of the other competition and a lot less than GWS have over the last few years, which leads me to believe that Taranto's scoring output could drop. But I just think that he's just good enough to find the pill. So it's not going to really matter anyway. And he gets enough uncontested ball that he's going to be able to float around that 105 average, regardless of who he's playing for. But if you're picking him to be like a 110 averaging player, that's not going to happen. So I don't think that he's necessarily going to destroy you on price or price you out or anything like that. But he's one that is going to be a solid return on investment. Um, whereas Goulden could. if I mean, if he gets a a really good role, like 50% plus CBAs and goes crazy. He's one that could really rise out of out of the gates and be priced 550K plus within the first five weeks. So um, this just one to watch. Um, what would I do? I'm trying to get them both in, but if I have to squeeze at this point, I'm probably going Gordon for Hurt Factor. Yeah, uh, I've, got, I've, got, I've got Timmy, naturally both of them in. Um, so I think it's a case of we haven't had also, those kind of midfielders for a while, you know, yep. Cochin played very different. Dusty, again, is very different. So now that's Hopper, Taranto in there, I think both of them, but we just kind of change how we've been playing on that because yep. you, you can only really coach with what the sort of resources you have. And, and now that we've got that, and Nate's probably, you know, in his prime as a ruck. Um, so I think Richmond do play a, a different way with, with both of them in. Um, so, yeah, in a perfect world, you kind of want both. I like. I know there's a lot of discussion this week because of what Gordon does and what what could could he back that up? But I think you've got to also consider Dunn's first week and then into Hawthorne week two. Like Gordon, I, I don't want to start not start Gordon with them playing the Hawks at home round two. And if he was to get 30, 40, 50 percent CBAs, yeah, we've we've seen that he can now go the massive score. Now, I don't think that might be the case, but he could still go 100, 110, 115. And, yeah. I mean, yeah, he, he could also get tagged, which is just phenomenal, but, right? Like, Yeah, that's, that's right. They could see him again. But the problem is then, if, you know, if Mills is back, Warner, Warner Mills, that Parker. they've actually got other options where it doesn't have to be him yep. tagged. So, Blakey. Yeah. Like, they've been, you know. It, it could, that could be a real interesting matchup. And, and, yeah, if he gets locked down and then you haven't started him, awesome. Well done to you. But on the flip side, if Goulden goes out and does what he did against Carlton and he gets a massive 150-plus score, especially in round two against the Hawks, 
um, where that's in your cycle then for the next three weeks. Yeah, um, yeah, you're dangerous. Gonna, you're going to be doing that correction trade that week, and it might. And then how do you? The only way you're getting that 480 mid um, forward in is by downgrading another premium. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, so Don's 2000 has just gone asked us about uh, team structure, so mid price in various lines as opposed to rookies in each line. So um, I might leave this one off because I think this one's pretty basic. But um, structure-wise, like I said in defense, I think there's room for one mid-pricer there or none. I think you could probably get away with none depending on um, depending on where, where, how you've used your money. What I've noticed, there's obviously no mid-pricers pretty much in the rack line. So if you're going one there and then you know none in your, in your rack line, the only real spots this year seem to be midfield or forward. Now, a lot of the forward lines are four premiums deep. Doesn't really allow much scope for mid prices in those sort of setups, especially when a lot of people are spending up in midfield to get your, your, your real Uber premiums. So, but in my opinion, where I'm trying to uh, sort of sacrifice in this stage in structure is I'm sacrificing those bigger premiums in midfield to try and put in those extra mid prices um, to try and maximize on-field points so structure-wise in from a mid-price perspective i'm kind of loading up in midfield and and a little bit in the forward i'm actually going really i don't have any on-field rookies right now in my um, in my forward line i've got f5 and f6 i've got zebel and and bruin at the moment um so yeah I, and for that for the reason that I, none of the real on-field um forwards rookies I, I don't there's nothing really shouting out to me going I need to be on field. Maybe Radagalia if at F six is probably the only one. McLean's dropped off the map. Um, Philippu plays far deep forward. You know you got Green there. You know key forward for a, arguably what you know bottom four team etc. I'm not in love with any of those sort of on field rookies. Um, and there's there's some quite decent mid um, rookies as well. So I wanted to have them on field. So even though there's eight spots, kind of you know, running out of room to fit these guys in. So for me, yeah, one maximum in defense. Uh, you could potentially squeeze two in the forwards and then maybe two in midfield if you can do it. Um, I think that's probably a good mix. But um, what about you, mate? What are, what are you looking at? Yeah, I agree. Because I look at Ben Callahan and Liam Jones as your ex- a real expensive top line rookie. Yeah, um, yeah. Because yeah. they're under 250K. So for me, yeah, it's Yo at the moment. I think it worth putting Zebel sort of down and then go up to like a Dawson, but to do that, to find the cash, then I've got to drop another mid price or I've got to drop wigs down the Darcy and then it starts yeah. getting messy too much of my team. But yeah, I think it's one, if you don't, um, depending on, cause I've seen some people go two or three deep with the Ubers in the, in defense. Um, but I think a lot of people are preferring say, yo, at D3. Um, I think maybe it's a bit too thin if you have him at D2, but, like I wouldn't be running Yo and Day or something like that. I think it's you, you, you have one down there. I don't care if it's Day or Long or whatever, but yeah, you've got the one. Um, the forward line, I'm like you. I've got uh, Zebel and Fife. Fife's the same um, price as Tanner Bruin anyway. Same, same. So it's the yep. same because I don't like the forward rookies at all. So where I'm looking at other people sharing teams with me and they've got Bill Bruel, Sheez or stuff like that, I'm like, I'm much more comfortable having guys who could become premiums, or, you know, keepers for me. Um, throughout yep. the year, which we think Zebel probably could in defence when he gets the round six uh, dual position, which he will, and then be it Tanner or Fife or somebody yep. in that pro, some of the, I've seen Horn Francis, whatever. Um, 
I think they're much more reliable options be it, um, for you because you know the role and the and the proven scoring, especially of Fife. Um, in my case with Tanner, with the role that he's got, um, it did definitely fit in that structure a lot better. And then the midfielders, you know, like I know a lot of people are saying, I oh, know you've got to start Jack Steele or, um, you know, you're looking at like McRae because he's proven and whatever. But then for me at, at the moment, it's set a field in there because of the fixture that he's got coming up. So I've got more, I've got confidence that with that fixture, he could probably go 90, 95. He's done it, you know, in patches before he even had one year at GWS, which I think he did that throughout the whole season. Um, so how many points does that offer really offer a Nuba premium? Like, you know, you're talking 20, 25 points at most there for a guy, 300, like even the, for me to get him up to Neil, I've got to find 330,000 just to match up, which is completely then butchering um, my side to do that. So I think two in the midfield with, you know, be it set a field, well, most people are going to have Hopper. Um, yep. Some people might not, but let's just say everyone's got Hopper. So then you're looking at it's either, you know, set a field, Warpool, Sheed, so it's one of probably those three, unless then you're starting, say, Horn Francis, for example, in your midfield to push him forward yeah. or whatever. And I've, I've like looked that. at options like that. I, yeah. I, I think it's underrated how good the Zeeble pick is because that round six, especially if you're going light in defense, all of a sudden it just beefs up there and your forward line will likely evolve over time by round six anyway. So you actually open up a spot because let's say Max Gorn gets DPP round six. Oh, well, bang, I can just put Zeeble back into defense. Gorn comes into my forward line, bang. That's an amazing. That, that's the question facility. I've been getting a lot when people are looking, like when I've been talking about my team. What happens if Track or Bailey Smith, Gorn, Grundy, whoever gets that because I oh, your, your midfield's full? And it's like, well, you know, whichever defender I have that's hit the bubble, then you know they're they're out. Seagulls in, and that that's my cash there. Um, and yeah, one of uh, hopefully that'll be one of the premiums, early premiums that I'll be chasing um, to put into that in that forward mix. So that's where that kept because people are like, oh, you're filling your spots. Well, be it Bruin or like if they come off, fantastic. But we're not yeah. really thinking they're going to be probably keep no. here. In a perfect world, we'd love to get them yeah. to the mid-buy. Um, but Zeeb, exactly. on the other hand, could definitely be a D6 just because he's done it before. Um, so it's not actually taking up a forward spot, someone like him. Yeah. Uh, and then the midfield rookies, yeah, again, like, yeah, I don't care. I, I think everybody, they've all got upside and, and they've all got, um, you know, cons about them as well. But, yeah, I think there, there's definitely a world for two of them. I've seen some yeah. people trying to run none, but then this is where it comes down going, okay, now you're banking on McKenzie Phillips. Some have even got Oscar Baker because of the score he had on the weekend on field. Um, do you really want to be running those guys at, um, you know, sort of M7, M8, when, you know, we might be running Ashcroft at M8? First year there, yeah. and that, and, and then you'll be going, okay, yes, you do have the uber premium scorers, but if they're only going, and we talked about before, maybe Clary only starts the year at a 115, 120, and we've, you know, you've got people with Hopper and, and Setterfield and Warple who may go 90 to 100 in that period, um, you know, you're only getting an extra 20 points paying for an extra 300k for it. So that's yeah. where I think, yeah, you probably need the two. There's also some to be said. Um, I was chatting to JP. Uh, two days ago, I think. And he mentioned that um, from his lineup last year, JP was the winner last year. He actually started eight mid-prices last year. Now, this bodes into, it's obviously very structure-related talk, but with the extra trades and the boost and et cetera, he didn't have any sort of special team, but what he did is he traded very well very early. 
which set himself up. So his team wasn't amazing, but from those eight mid prices, five of them ended up being keepers. So starting guys like Wits obviously helped, Cripps obviously helped. Um, every, I think everyone had Brody and Cogs, which obviously helped. But if I'm if I'm looking at my team and thinking, okay, I want to be aggressive and I want to trade into the right guys very early. The only way I'm going to be able to do that is if I've got the flexibility of a mid price to be able to be like, I don't need you. I'm just going to trade you out. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to down one down up and go get Clary because Clary's a must have. I'm going to, you know, go get Stuart because Stuart's a must have now, but I can do that because I don't care about who I've got in my team. And the other thing that he realized is that from his starting team, he only had eight premiums that were premiums at the start and he had in his final team. So you don't, as long as you hit those right eight guys and then you have the right mix and have, the forward thinking and flexibility to change around your team and be flexible. That's what's unfortunately something like a guns and rookie structure really sort of handcuffs you. Because if you get the wrong mix early with guns and rookies, you're running behind the whole season because you don't want to trade out your premiums. You don't want to, you, you want to wait until your rookies make enough cash. Whereas week four, I could be like, look, I've only made 20K out of Zebul, but he's a shit pick and I, I need to get off it. So I'm just going to downgrade him now. Grab 200k and go straight to a premium that's that's under yeah undervalued and overperforming. You can make those decisions on the fly when you've got these mid prices. So I think it's important to remember that when you're setting up your team. And with this year, obviously more than most, there isn't a lot of you know mid price defenders or anything like that. So take the mid priced options where they are. I think that's probably our point there. Yeah, um, I've, had the, I've had the same discussions with Abdul, the crazy yeah. man, super coach, and that, but. That's exactly what he had. You know, he had Tom Greens and whatever in the midfield and stuff. So I, I can't remember exactly how many mid-crosses he had. But, yeah, definitely was very aggressive of that. So aggressive that he ran out of trades where JP didn't. But, yeah, that's that's where they've sort of gone with going that strategy going, you know, we can I can have guys in there. And then if you and if you get the right one like he did, for example, Tom Green last year, who he traded out at the right time, but you, you don't, at least with mid prices, we are going in there going, okay, this guy doesn't need to be a season keeper for me. I'm hoping no, like I'm happy to like, trade him. Yeah. Like I'm hoping to pick Setterfield on the fact that Essendon's fixture, Caldwell's, you know, got a knee sore soreness, maybe um a longer term knee injury and that, which I don't wish that on anyone. Um Parrish had his, you know, calf iced up after the game. You know, so there there might be something there. So I'm backing somebody well like that who or with the maybe things all going well, why can't he come out and be their second best midfielder and average 100 during that period? And all of a sudden that gap between him and a, and a big premium, it, it's really closed. And that's where like Abdul got lucky with the, the Tom Green pick last year. So yeah. that's where you start looking at these decisions where, yeah, like um, we talked about, like Ben's been in that situation. I think he had Whitfield last year. And because he's that premium, just mentally he's like, no, I can't trade him out. I can't trade him out. And that where, you know, you if it is a mid-price, it's so much easier mentally just to go, yeah, I'm going to fling this guy off to the, either the best-scoring rookie or another mid-pricer who's flying. And, I mean, you know, you just look at, say, Clary, for example, um, his last two scores against the Bulldogs, who's obviously his round one opponent, is 96 and 112. Like, he's got a two-game average of 104 against them. If he does that and then backs up with another poor game, you know, and Setterfield comes out and goes 100, how pissed would you be owning Clary paying 700k for him? But Setterfield's gone 340, <laughs> yeah, the same price for, for 350k. So, um, yeah, peace of mind. Um, moving on to the next question. Oh, so, oh, oh, just uh, a random one. This is live on that. So, I've got my super coach draft there, mate. Um, it's my pick. 
and we're just talking <laughs> about that Zeeble versus Horn Francis. I think I'll go get Zeeble at pick 100. Yeah, you will. Thank you very much for leaving that, guys. <laughs> nice. All right. So Damien Ford says, is Sava, is Sava an option at R2 if you aren't running a, a Cameron-like player in your forward line for ruck swing cover? Um, I, I I liked um, the uh, the Asava ruck to when we had McAndrew as he's going to be playing. You had the uh, a third option there um, from a rookie perspective. A ruck rookie perspective. Um, I'm not sure you can run Cameron at the moment. I just don't don't like. Oh, I'm, I'm not Cameron in love with it. Oh, I thought you were talking about Asava uh, Yeah, yeah, Radical. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So, Radar too, yeah. if you've got Cameron uh, in your yeah. forward line. The thing with the Cameron in your forward line is he blocks other options. So he blocks mid prices. He blocks the four premiums that you've obviously, that everyone's got. And, you know, you still got even guys like Cunnington there. Like there's a lot of guys that are potentially going to go better than him. So having him there just to cover, I just don't love as an idea. Um, if you're just doing it to save cash, I'm, I'm not really, yeah, I'm just not sold on that. So Running, I played around with it. I, I, I did because I was like, oh, you know, what does it look like? How does this formulate? Like, we were talking about the idea about, you know, Darcy Cameron being the a really nice F7 um, R3 going through as a backup. So in case where, like we talked about Abdul last year where he ran out of trades was about four or five weeks ago, um, if he's got that situation with DC sitting there and you get the one-week injury, well, it's fine because you've got somebody like DC who can score between 90 and 100 come in and your team's not affected. The problem is we're all expecting Gorn, maybe even Grundy, pick up dual position. So you're going to have a guy on your forward line, potentially, who can cover your rucks if you get the one-week injury anyway. So what Darcy Cameron's value because of that drops off dramatically. Yeah. The only other one that I've had questions about is my thoughts on, say, Jamison from West Coast. Now, if I knew Nick Nat had a long-term injury, and it's just not this Achilles that could... You know, he might be right for a couple of weeks and then may miss one or whatever. Then it might have been a different story because it's like, okay, I don't like Jamison and he's scoring, but maybe as an R2 or maybe as an R3 as a backup to Regalia and swap them around with maybe MacAndrew in the forward line at F7 um, so you could play around with different rucks each week and maybe get the right matchup and where the possibility they could all make cash and make 100, 150,000. Yeah, sure, no problems with that. But unfortunately, we don't have that situation. So what happens if Radical Air gets dropped? What happens if, you know, he's only scoring 50s? What do you do there with your ruck? Now you've got to actually trade out one of your premiums to get one of the other guys in. Or as we said before, you know, you're going to have Darcy Cameron, which you're going to have pretty well have to keep there because I think he still scores well enough where you're not going to probably trade him out. But then yeah. what happens when we get that extra dual position player? And if you are starting DC in your forward line over Golden or Cunnington, you're probably five points behind everyone else each week, and that. And then you're the only good thing about it is you are hoping for an injury in rounds one to five, uh, or round one, one to six. Yeah, where you actually game. happens because yeah. after that, everyone's probably going to have gone anyway if he picks it up, and they're going to have the ruck cover as it is. So, and um, what we also find is that early injuries don't really matter anyway because people just trade around it, so yeah. it doesn't really impact your scoring. So you're not really going to get a lift on other people. Um, yeah, it was a good idea. Look, we both dabbled in it. It was a good idea for a little bit. Lost momentum about a week ago, and that's, I think, where it's uh, where it's left, unfortunately. Um, moving on, so Nathan Harris has said uh, he's got a, he's got three questions in a row. So he said, run with English in R1, sick dog still a lock, and Callaghan a must. So 
Um, first off, I I think we're both on the wits train. Um, at the moment, I, I could still be persuaded into English at R1. I'm not in love with a pick though. Like it's not. I think now with the the Laddams news, I haven't shifted out of wits since I realized Laddams going to be the the uh, yeah round one ruck against wits. I, I can't can't get off that for whatever reason. And of course, English's first rucks are Gorn and Grundy. Like it could not be worse for a, like I don't yeah. I know it's not all about round one, but that just really turns me off wanting to start him. I like having a fire in round one. Sick dog. Um, like he did well last year against Grund, uh, against Gorn, but it was just Gorn Jackson that it's not his time. It is Gorn and Grundy, which is yeah, yeah where wits it's likely to be Laddams. If it's not Laddams, it's McAndrew. Like either yeah. way, it's the perfect start for him. Um, and who who have Freya got? Like I think they've got St Kilda, so Marshall. It's not a great start, and and we know it's a twenty three twenty four week season, so it's not about you know just the one round there. But you know if English comes out and only goes like a ninety first up, and Wicks has gone absolutely berserk, already you're that sixty sort of points behind. You know somebody who's only twenty k more expensive, and now you're you need English over those next ten weeks to average five points better just to catch wits. Uh, so yeah. that's kind of my thinking on it with that. So. so with Sicily, I never thought he was a lock. I thought he was always a good option, but just because obviously he's high price, I think that the Hawks are a lot worse this year than they were last year. Which you can read two things into that. So. Last year, he averaged 118 in losses. However, I thought they were a little more competitive. Now, does that mean, you know, even though they're getting, you know, they're, they're losing, you know, they might only be losing by two goals or four goals. Now they're getting spanked by six or 12 goals. D- what happens with Sicily in that sort of realm? Is he still going to average you 118 or is that just really diminish? The pie goes down to the crapper. I, I'm not really too entirely sure. I don't think he's a bad option. I just don't think he's an awesome option. Um, and so. For me, I've never had him as a lock. I think if you're only choosing one or two, then to me, yeah, I really like Doherty and Dawson. Um, those have been my two stalwarts at the moment. Then I'd probably go um, Sicily, then Stewart, and then I'd probably go last Sinclair, just because I still don't know. And we didn't get any more information on what, how they're going to use Sinclair. I think I still think Ross Lyon's still trying to work out how he wants to use Sinclair. I think um, they had a faster ball movement through there. What's going to hurt Sinclair is now they've got um, Messiah Wangarin Malira down taking yeah. kickouts and a yeah. bigger role down there. So that's naturally going to impact on Sinclair scoring. So where yeah. I was pretty high on Sinclair when I thought, first thought, Ross Lyon, slow ball movement, um, it was completely opposite with that. Where for me, like I've still got Sicily as the number one defender, but I don't think there's a big gap between, with him, Dawson, Doherty. And Stuart, um, I'm a bit with you. There was a, some games last year with Sicily, and I didn't own him. So maybe a little bit of FOMO there, but he um, he would have a poor first half. People like again, what he did yeah. in Collingwood, and have a massive yeah. second half. Now again, that Collingwood Hawthorne game was close last year. Like Geelong, um, like he had a massive score there. I think he scored about 140, 142, something like that. Um, but that game was right down to the wire again. So. His intercept marks have a lot more weighting than if they are going to be 10 goals down. So him having that massive 50, 60-point quarter is going to be more difficult if they aren't being as competitive. So is it the Hawthorne we're going to get that played Geelong? Was it the Hawthorne we got when we're going to play against Collingwood? 
and, and that's going to affect some of his, you know, if he if he's only on 30, 40, at, you know, at half time and they're already down by six goals, well, he's not having a 50, 60 point quarter if he's just starting off intercepting because they're not going to be worth as many points. So yeah. that's just something I think, to look, take into account. I, I still think he's going to be up there. And I, and I, yeah, as I said, he's I've not going to be a number, bad option. I've got him as number one because I still think he takes kick outs. If he doesn't kick out, they, they kick to him. He's going to still get plenty of ball down there. But I I think the difference between maybe him, Dawson, and Doherty is barely anything. And I think that probably Dawson and Doherty have the better start to the year. Yeah. So why am I paying extra 20K for two players that I can pick up and uh, who I think are all going to average around that 110 mark flat? And I think Stewart's, yeah. pretty, Stewart's pretty well the same. Stewart has a great average at the MCG. So I know a lot of people are like, oh, he's not playing at Geelong. His average at the MCG is just as good. But they yep. do have quite a few early interstate games and that. And it showed on the weekend that that 91, that's usually what he is in interstate matches, that 90 to 100 sort of guy. Um, yep. So I'm happy to fade him for now, even though he can put the big score in. Um, because, yeah, I really want him in that period when he's so, playing long games. I mean, I, if I just look at the fixture run, um, the part of the part of the reason I like Stewart is because in round four and six, they play Sydney and Hawks, who both tagged him in the past. And I think that that probably continues with Stewart. Mm-hmm. Um, but with Doherty, round one, they play obviously Richmond. And he goes one Richmond will just every time. W- Richmond will just let halfbacks do whatever they want. They don't care, yeah. right? Yeah. Then they play Geelong, obviously a harder game. But then it's GWS, North, Adelaide, Saints, Eagles, all in a row. I, I want to be on a Carlton player. <laughs> like, I don't care if he's playing midfield. I don't care if he's playing halfback. I, I think he's going to have one cons- of them, right? I consider George Hewitt. As one of my premium yeah. needs and that, but I'm like, oh, what? I'm only going really two with Tommy Green. How can I do that? And is Hewitt really going to be top eight? Like, I still think he's a, like, I've been getting him and Will Brady in a lot of drafts because I absolutely love it. But yeah, those Carlton mids and, and even Doherty during that time are just going to have a fantastic four to six week period. And I would have loved to pick Paddy Cripps. I don't have any yeah. problem with people thinking about him. Um, but yeah, I think Doherty with that fixture, it's, he, yeah, what he, actually he happens? One twenty during that time. Well, what, and what happens that we find in in fantasy sports is that if you're on the pick that goes big for a while, that's great, and then people are trying to get on as that pick starts to fade, and so you might already have them, and you've already gained that benefit of of having those picks. They come on board, and they're averaging ten points less per game for the rest of the season. They haven't averaged you one twenty or one fifteen. They've averaged you one hundred five, and it's been an okay pick, but you've paid up for them. So. Oh yeah, that's that's sort of what yeah, I want to that, do. I want to get on the guys that are going to have hot starts. Like because obviously I had a really slow start in Supercoach last year. It was about thirteen thousand coming into that buy, but you know jumping on Himmelberg and Sinclair, those guys when I did like probably two weeks before everyone else did, um, and yep. all of a sudden yeah that's the thing everybody else tried. Well not everybody else did jump on, but other people tried to jump on, and you're already two weeks ahead of them, and that's where you've caught up those points. So that's what I'm thinking with Doherty. Um, so at the moment, I'm Doherty Ridley, but I really would like Dawson. Dawson's been in my side pretty well the entire preseason. So I think yeah. as captain, um, and there's still the, the difference of, I've, I've said before, Sicily, everyone's always thought he's a bit of a selfish player, gives away stupid free kicks, gets suspended, all that. So he, there's a part of me that thinks he has to be a little bit more unselfish. You know, that's the sort of part of his game where he needs to be a better leader. Where Dawson, you make somebody a captain that's only been in your club for one year when you've already got Dodie and other players that you would expect to be named captain. Um, there, there's a lot of question marks and there's a lot of proving that, that like, you know, they've gone with the right person here. So Dawson's been a 
you know, a really good player over the last couple of years at the halfback, sort of as he floats up to that wing. But I think Dawson actually has to show from a individual point of view that, no, I am the right player for this. And that I think, you know, I hate using, in, uh, you know, American terms, but he is going to be a quarterback. Everything's going to go through him. And if they're not putting it through him, he's going to make sure it goes through him. Um, so I think, yeah, he's in the same boat where he's probably going to have the hot start, not as hot as Doherty, but he's going to be definitely, um, you know, up on his, you know, last year's average, at least for the first, you know, few weeks. Yeah. Um, I agree with that. And so last one that uh, Nathan Harris had was Callaghan a must. And I, I have to say that he's probably not a must, but he's also one that if he fits into your structure, then great. Um, I, I'm I'm wary about starting someone like Callaghan and Flanders because I think that probably one of them goes and has it has a good run. Callaghan, sorry, Callahan. Sorry, yeah. whatever. He looked like a man running around. The guy's six foot three. He's faster than everyone. He's bigger than everyone. He's more skilled than everyone. And I'm not sure how they're going to, opposition teams are going to approach, approach him. Now, unfortunately, he didn't have the role in terms of an inside role. He was exclusively used as a wingman and now flagged completely as a wingman. So neither him nor Flanders have the role. So I don't think is a must because wingers, what we know is one week he goes 110, the next week he might go 60. And so for that reason, he's not a must-have. If he, if he had an inside role at that price with that that skill level, then I'd be like, yep, absolutely. Like you have to have him. You can't not have him. But no, I don't think he's a must-have. I think he's one that is a, more of a luxury pick if you've got the extra cash. Um, and someone that I, I, I'm on at the moment, but I don't expect, you know, if I had to move him, I wouldn't be upset with him. And if if by round three I had to move him, I wouldn't be upset with him. Yeah, I've been much bigger on him. Um, and probably only times that he's come out of my side is because I've needed to put cash elsewhere. But he's the one that I've pretty well had locked in at FC, uh, M6 nearly the entire preseason. Um, and the main thing I think is with Kingsley coming in, you know, it's a fresh start. Who are the that GWS can't be in this position where they keep losing these young gun midfielders out of their side. So who's their best two going forward? It's Tom Green and Finn Callahan. Um, and though Callahan's more suited for that wing role, I, you know, so many times it was you know Tom Green fire the ball out, Callahan's running by. Oh um, yeah, and and I think that's that that's what they want. You know, it's let's get games into these two. They're going to be our pair hopefully for the next ten years together. Tommy Green's just signed up to you know his free agency. I hope Callahan will do the same. Um, so I think they were going to you know that that's his wing wing role for the season. Um, yeah. And he's shown that he's got the ability to, you know, he he can. But what I really like from the game, he keeps his whip with as a wingman, and that. So he's still got the ability to get in there and get the ball if he needs to. But so many times, like you watch the other wingman get sucked in, and he just kept that extra fifteen meters. And then when they have, you know, when you got Kelly Canelio Green winning the ball for you, and he's in that already that 10, 15 meters of space, bang, you know straight onto that foot is such a beautiful kick and he's hitting up Hogan out on the lead and that. So, yeah, as you said, there'll be games where he'll go lower, but um, I think that he'll definitely throw in some nice scores this year and a 244, a guy that, you know, potentially can score 110s, 120s. Yeah, I'm all about it. Fair enough. I I respect that. Um, Now, I suppose coupled with that, we could probably ask this one as well. So uh, PC Superstar has just said, what do you think of Lockie Ash? Um, killed on the weekend, beautiful kick, high draft pick, blah, blah, blah. And 
look, he's not a terrible option, to be completely honest. I think he just gets overshadowed in the mid-price of chats. He's about the same price as, um, as Hopper and Setterfield and Sheed and all those guys. Um, the benefit that he has is obviously he will likely get defender status as well. So he's one that opens up a midfield spot in round six, likely. This is all dependent on the fact that he stays at that halfback role. Now, what we've seen in the past is that I think he averaged 89 or just shy of 90 in that role. So it is enough of a you know sample size to be like, okay, well, if he does average 90, great. That's that's pretty great from a guy at 330K. It's probably enough. Um, is he going to be a breakout option that will be a keeper? Probably not. He doesn't. I don't think he has that scope playing in defense to be able to do that, especially when you've also got coming down there and obviously Whitfield. Um, but all three of those guys scored pretty well and it'll be interesting to see how teams approach this now run and gun from halfback that they're, they're obviously approaching, which has been the MO of Richmond. And it looks like it's going to be that coming out of, um, out of GWS with now Kingsley at the helm is obviously from the Richmond farm. Um, and so what we generally see is that maybe one pops up as that really premium user where the other two might be saying that sort of 90s range. If you think right now, you've got Vlosten, you've got um, yeah, Rioli, obviously, at, at Richmond. Um, and if Short was to drop back there, he would be that you know, one guy. Typically, that one guy is going to be the guy that is taking most of the kickouts. So we weren't really able to identify that. Obviously, Whitfield had quite a few, but then they also did share it around with the other guys. Um, I'd like to know who that is before, say, locking in. Ash was to get more kickouts, but they just sort of let him do whatever they wanted, and I was kind of a little bit shocked that that run from halfback was not even... I think in a normal AFL game, that was that's a bit shut down. I, I can't imagine them just letting those guys just have do whatever they wanted, which is what happened in the weekend. So, yeah, I um, think we, I don't hate it. But. Still, Whitfield's the one that's going to get more attention. Um, yes. If if what if there was an injury to Whitfield or coming, I would be all over this pick. And that oh. problem is, I don't like the fact that it's three of them. And we've seen that with Richmond. All three guys can average quite well. Even we talk about with Fremantle, where you know. It could be Young one week and Ryan, and then they got you know Driscoll, and there's options coming out. And every week, a different one fires. So if Lockie Ash comes out and scores a 120 or 130, one of those three or four games early on the season, it would not shock me. But then in those games, I'm expecting Whitfield probably only going 70, or you know, and so is Isaac coming. And then the next week, it's probably going to happen. Um, yep. So I think, yeah, it's not a terrible pick. And that and is definitely, he, he's one of those guys that, oh, yeah, he. We'll look at it and go, oh, yeah, he made 120K, 130K in that. And, you know, he, he made some reasonable cash. And um, well done to those who probably did jump on him and that. But, again, I just think there's there's too many cooks in the kitchen where, for example, we were talking about before with Finn Callahan, he is their attacking wingman now. And I think Perryman, you know, has dropped into that defensive wingman where, yeah, if it was just if Whitfield just wasn't there or if he, if he was struggling with injury like he was last year, be like, yeah, get on Lucky Ash for a mid pricer, fantastic role, but just one too many cooks. Yeah, I think I agree with you, but I, I'm not against it. I just, no, I'm, not, against I'm it not taking that. Yeah, yeah. Um, another mid pricer, so lots of mid pricer chat. So, Love what it. do we do with uh, Crazy Frog says, what do we do with Fife? Now, I know you who currently have Fife, so I'll let you rant, but I've got to lead this off by saying he's playing 100%. Goal square, full forward. He's not playing any time on the ball so that we've seen so far. 
His role is basically one out. He's um, the, the benefit of, of Fife is that he's so good on when the ball hits the deck that he can obviously get goal assists and he can contribute to goals, not just be relying on kicking goals. But I ultimately have a look at and go, last year he averaged 67, playing that role over seven games. And yes, one of those was an injured games. And his scoring went up and down and up and down. And that's exactly what we're going to see this year. Do I think he averages more than 67? Yeah, probably. But maybe, what, eight? I see 80. Like, I can't see him going into the 90s and being an actual, you know, making you some real serious cash. And uh, I don't know. And, yeah, I, I'll, and I'll, consistently I'll, going 90, 90, 90. Yeah. Like, you know, that's. I'll, I'll go. Like, I don't really like him in my. So I, I, like, I hate the, the rookies. I know a lot of people like Jesus and Philip or whatever. The reality is they're still kids, unless because of McKay's injury, Sheezel ends up playing at halfback flank, but there's rumours Taron Tomlins is going to play round one now too. So does now he come into a kind of thinking or whatever, but I just don't like the rookie. So that's the amount of money I've sort of got there. I don't have enough to get it to Horn Francis, who actually looks like he's got a more permanent midfield role. Um, and even then yep. there's some reasons why I've got doubts with him. Um, like in a perfect world, I'd be with you with Tanner Bruin. If Bruin gets named um, for starters and named on the field against Collingwood, it's probably him. But I still don't, I'm not 100% sure with Geelong's full side. If he is even named on the field, is he even could be in the sub contention and that? Like, he was awesome preseason. But Geelong have so many players. These guys trying to yeah. come to a premiership side where they've already tried to bring Bows, you know, Henry, there's other, and there's other guys on their list. Yeah, even like you know, your men at goals and stuff like that trying to get into this team. So there's no guarantee um, Bruin starts with the role that we want. Um, or his sub, which would yeah, be sub, which would be awful. Um, <laughs> Flanders, we've talked about with the issue there. Oscar Allen, if he wasn't, uh, you know, he's playing now um, North Melbourne without Ben McKay round one. But if Darling was still there and he was um, F two, he was probably my um, more favourable option because I thought you know he'd get on some some goals and that. But West Coast don't look great anyway, and then he's got to play forward in a in a team that I think is going to be bottom four. So there's not really too many other options standing out. So I always like to be the more expensive guy that I can afford because it's much easier to go down. I do also like Fremantle's draw to start off with. Like after yeah, the Saints game, it is yeah. North Melbourne and West Coast, Adelaide, Suns. So arguably, you know, especially North Melbourne and West Coast at home, arguably two of the worst teams in the competition. Um, so even him playing forward, but what did he get on the weekend? 90 and that, like, there's no reason why he can't do that, if not more, a lot more yeah. against team. Like, if North Melbourne still don't have Ben McKay, that that round two, and that <laughs> and that ball was just getting pumped into that Fremantle forward line, like five could kick six, and that it's not out of the question. And that, like, oh, calm down. This no, guy. but you know what I mean. Like, Dusty's done it before. Like, you know, Dusty's yeah, yeah. Like, no, I get what like, you're saying. Yeah, I mean, that so sort of leads me into another question where, that we got here, that's which where is. I'm, um, that's the thought at the moment. So that's why he's there at the moment thinking yeah. if there's realistically, if every other option kind of fails, it it might be Fife's the last man standing. At least I know what he can do, but I'm yeah. not confident with it. And that's where I'd rather drop it to someone else. I'm just waiting for somebody else to put their hand up for me to go, I'm a much better option here. Um, that does bleed me into the next question, um, which was from the Duke, who also says, who is the best mid other than Laird, Took, Neil, Oliver, Bont, McRae, and Mills? So basically just take out all the, the top guys there. <laughs> and so for me, leading into that would be Brayshaw because of that start. Like that is an absolute dream start 
you can't, I think the first five games and, and what we saw with his averages last year is that, if, and we did this in the Frio pod, he, he averaged 123 against bottom eight sides last year. So from that, and again, just speaking to what we spoke about earlier, start getting onto guys that are going to go hot early so that when people are trying to trade into these guys by round six, round seven, you're trying to trade into Brayshaw. He's already, you know, he's now 650, but people are jumping on him because he's got a 130 average and you're just like, well, I've already got him, so I don't need to do that. So um, do you have an, like, I do, do you like, I know a lot of people are on Parish. You've been hot on Crips, but now maybe a little bit softer because of Walsh being rumored to be back a little bit earlier. Yeah, I still Where's your view Walsh on that? comes back. Kelly, maybe? As well, like, as early as what they're saying, pushing for round one. It just seems like, like, from a personal point of view, being a Richmond supporter, I hope he's not out there. Naturally, but from a football <laughs> perspective, yeah. Um, yeah. So I think it's probably a that's a short-term view compared to probably the long-term view they have to take with him. Um, like, I do like Cripps because of that start. Like, after we talked about the first couple of rounds, that's ridiculously soft. And, you know, we know he can go 140 on any given week, um, especially if he doesn't have the, the support around him. Yeah, I like, really like the Brayshaw. I've, I've dropped off Parrish. Like, um, yeah, so just be, Yeah. yeah. So the the parish mayor, I think that that's sweet. I know a lot of people on Jack Steele. I'm not as on that board as much. Um, that so probably outside that, maybe left field might be Libba, um, just because yep. there's potential there without. And I see he's popping up some teams um, with Dunkley now moving on, and yep. Libba. We've seen they've tried him as a forward before, and it just doesn't work. He no. is that in and under midfielder. And he also um, had the high CBAs from the weekend. So, you know, again, can't trust Magneto that much. Hmm. But you'd have to say that, you know, with Dunkley gone, they obviously need another inside bull there. Um, I think everyone got a slight bump outside of McRae. So, you know, does that mean that Libby can go so that 110 plus range now, maybe 115 even, potentially? I don't mind yeah, that. He's one guy if that I had to... would not surprise me if he came out and started at 120. Yeah. And that, and then starts to slow down as, yeah. as everything sorts itself out. There's usually Which a couple players like that. Guys. So he, he's another one. And maybe the other one, just because I've heard that he's really worked hard improving his tank, is Will Brody. And we just talked about the same thing with Brayshaw, um, with that absolutely incredible fixture to start off with. Brayshaw can be tagged. Now he's obviously been trying to work hard through those tags and stuff like that. And we know how damaging he is, especially against lower end teams. So does like another club let, like what did he go against St Kilda last year? It was something stupid in his two day um games where um yeah, but his PPMs just through the roof, right? Through that's, the roof. So is Ross Lyon, for example, round one gonna let let him go. It says he was one thirty two and one eighty nine in his last two games against St Kilda. So yeah. should, like how do you rock up to the press conference after you've let well, um you know Brayshaw have forty touches again, even yeah. though it's his first game back coaching? And that, like, it's a hard question to justify. Like, you know, we backed our systems. You've got enough data to show this guy's torn you and you won the last three, four times he's played you. Yeah. So I think a lot of people are thinking, well, if Brayshaw cops it, maybe Will Brody doesn't. Um, and could he with that sort of fixture and with that improved tank? Because that was the biggest thing with Brody last year. And it was always the Couldn't question mark with him. What, what do you yeah. play, like, stupid time on ground? Like, it was under 70 60, 63 or 64. Something so. like that. So... Yeah. I, like I believe he's like improved, so now he's in the seventies sort of guy that he might have to run a bit harder. So does that extra ten percent bump, um, you know, equate from going from that sort of uh, you know hundred guy? Could he get a run on in the early with that fixture and maybe go one fifteen um, as a as a starting as point? Well. So I'd seen probably go, yeah. I mean, for me, I'd probably go one Brayshaw to Kelly, 
yeah. I don't mind the Kelly pick. I mean, I'm not sure he can average 36 disposals, but he looked bloody good on the weekend. Mm. Um, and then three, I'd probably go Libba. I don't mind Brody as a pick left field because, so, I mean, what we see league-wide is we see um, most people lowering their CBA attendances, most people lowering their TOG, whereas he had already had low uh, TOG and, and center bounce attendances because he couldn't get on the park. So if he can increase it, he could be the only one bucking the trend. So it's yeah, so, yeah, and that's where we're talking about like Libba. There's a reason for Libba because they've got guys who can play more flexible and Dunkley's gone. Big chunk there. Yeah. Where and then Brody as we as we just said. So you're looking for somebody if if you're going a pod and you just want to like I don't like being a pod for the sake of being a pod. But there is people that out there go, oh well, you know, I'm happy to run one of these guys. There's going to be a reason for it. Don't just turn around and say, I'm picking this player because I want to be different. And that give us, and, and there's two reasons there. There is actually legitimate stats where these guys could go well. And we saw it in the practice match why they absolutely dominated. Now, the practice matches, the real things is a completely different situation. But yes. if you look at that figure, somebody like Brody, again, oddly, but if they were to get that start, and especially, you know, Brody, let's just say Brayshaw was the one that gets tagged. Brody comes out and goes 115, 120 for that first six, seven weeks. And then everyone else is like, oh, hang on. We need to get this guy in. He's the guy this year. You're so far ahead of the pack because, you know, 2% started with him this season and and nobody else is on him. So they're the sort of players that, yeah, you can get massively ahead. Um, and I think there's, at least with them, there's probably lower risk. The only problem is it's, um, you know, yeah, you're spending in particular Brody's point, like maybe fifty to a hundred thousand cheaper than one of those big dogs. Um, but what happens if they just plot along that hundred and five um sort of scoring and that what do you do then? Um that do you unless you keep that money in the bank or that money's been used to really balance out the points, but still when do you pull the trigger then to go, okay, I, I have to move one of these guys up to a yeah, Uber. you kind of get caught because they're not really a, a, a an Uber premium, but they're not a mid pricer. So you you can get caught holding them too long, and you just got to be. I think you got to treat them like a mid price zone. Mm. That if they're just not cutting it, you just got to cut them. If that's the case, but for that reason, I'd probably almost rather get them as that sort of round three or round four guy that you just go to if they if they're just popping off, as opposed to start with them. But that's just my. Um, I have seen some people have sent me teams, which I will do a team review. And if you watch this before I've done that, feel free to DM me your teams. But I have already, as I was flicking through, a couple of people have got Libba. Um, M2, Brody, M3. So for me, it's one on that. I don't think you can, like, it's too big of a risk to go two because you're kind of hedging your bets. You're like, okay, maybe one of them's going to go off. I'm not too sure which one. So I'm going to start both of them and that. And there's a lot more risk associated with that where I think you choose the one where you're more confident with whatever, you know, you've seen or what you've heard and that, um, and you, you back that pick in. So for us, where like for me, I have Brody probably ahead of Libra just because of the fixture, I think, and that improved time on ground and CBAs for him. It makes sense. And now Monday's not there as well. Um, so that's obviously going to change some of the CBAs and dynamics there. So I think there is an increase for Brody where Libra beverage just scares me a lot. And that's why I'd have McCray locked in my team. He was in my first team <laughs> yeah, pick. Right. But, but I can't uh, – I make the joke that, you know, how many – like I, I'm happy to take a bet that, um, you know, Caleb Daniel does one – um, ruck contest this year and that because that's how crazy beverage can get like it's not out yeah. of the realm that anything can happen for him um, yeah. so that's where I'm all right that. so moving on um so seeker 11th 
uh, says that uh, is is one primo defense too light on now or too risky? In, um, I think this one's a pretty easy one. I don't think it's necessarily too risky, but we've lost a lot of the security from all the extra rookies that we had. Like they just started dropping like flies. So I mean, you know, before we had Bose and we had Caulfield, and you know, we had quite a lot of these um, other rooks that were looking like they were going to start. Weddle as well. Um, Chesser was going great guns and then had a really poor start. You know, now we've got the news that only one of Sin Cotter and Cowan's playing. Wilmot and McKenna are super underwhelming. That are they even on field options? They don't really look to be. Um, so for that reason, I'm leaning towards two premiums. Uh, yeah, with, with Yo at, at D3, I was hot on one premium and and Yo at D2 for a long, long time. And now with all the value in the other lines, I kind of feel like you can sort of spread it out. Um, I just don't like teams with the one primo now. What What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I agree. Like, and I even played around with when Dacos was flying, thinking, oh, do I just even try just running Dacos there and that, and maybe with Vingo. But as you said, Bose, Coffield was playing seconds. Uh, that wasn't promising. But Kenner, I watched get outrun. Um, I said that with the Brisbane Geelong game twice. Done. The long player ran yeah. past him, and he's known yeah. for he, playing for his speed. So, you know, it's hard to transition back from playing, you know, Gaelic football back in AFL and that. And he'll do reasonably well, but I'm not paying 160 set. Like, I was getting – that was probably the one I was getting most criticised for with one of my pods. Well, where's McKenna in your team? And that, and that was my worry. A, what role is he going to be? And then B, what's his fitness score back, you know, playing AFL? It's a tough sport to play. So I think he's still good enough to probably get 50, but – Am I confident on a guy playing, you know, paying that much for a guy who's like, eh, you know, he's only going to get maybe 50 and then until he well, finds and, and there's no guarantee. With how long ago did he up. play first? And wasn't he splitting kickouts at the time with Saad or something like yeah, that? Yeah, like, stuff like that. So like, he had a much better so, role and, and he didn't score Yeah, that exactly. Great. Like he had yeah. one good year where I think he may have gone like something and that. But yeah. I obviously I watch a lot of Essendon games because um, yeah. my, my partner. That. So, he's not like, getting yeah. kick out to Brisbane. No chance. Yeah, not not behind right. Richie. Essendon are very, and they're very excited. Always been a very exciting team. You keep some McKenna's and they can all run and stuff like that. Where the conditions also probably don't suit him up at Brisbane. Like, you know, a lot of night games at this time of the year, um, balls a bit slippery on the deck and stuff like that. So, yeah, that might have been even that. Him, you know, losing footing and stuff while he was trying to sprint. And uh, I don't know if that actually probably suits his game style first up. So, yeah. There's, there's just not enough rookies to be confident in. Yeah. Um, and then most people have got, well, still a lot of people still have day costs, but we talked about that. Like, how's he going to deal with the tag? We actually got to see it, didn't deal with it that well. And that, so that kind of came, you know, cut off with everyone. I think you're, you're the like with me with waiting to see Ridley's role bang on Ridley in my side. But I, I think if it's not, you're going one premium and Ridley, it's two premiums and We've talked about that before. Yeah, you know, the, did, yeah. Probably the big four because I've dropped Sinclair down further now. You know, your Sicily Stewart, Dawson, Doherty. I don't care yeah. what order you have them in. We've got our own opinion on that. But you either need two of them or it's one with Ridley. I think it's the best, safest and option. that sort of leads into um, another question that we've got here from Jake Sharp SC who said, Stewart and a 200K guy or Ridley and Fife or Zeeble or, or Run or whatever it may be. And I think we're both on that second train with the Ridley and the the ex, yeah the 200k forward rookie. You're looking at what a Sheasel or a Philippu or Maybe guys Ped, like that. Pedlo kind of came in. Yeah, I think none of them have good roles. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the job security is there for Sheasel. Obviously, really high pick. They love him. 
But when he played forward, he's so damaging when he gets it and 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 but he doesn't get enough of it. When he plays behind it, which is not, he's I don't think he's going to be doing that much in an AFL game. To be honest, I think they've got enough guys that are users down there that they don't need him behind the ball. But I haven't loved him behind it. But he knows how to get it, I suppose, mm-hmm. which is a good thing for a super coach perspective. Um, I'm not sold on that pick as a guy that's going to make enough money to be worth it. To be fair, but he's the only one that I really like, and that's saying something. So. I'm definitely on the bounce really... guys about the idea of maybe Thomas Cole down this if you wanted to yeah, yeah, defend, yeah. which you know he's going to be best 22 most likely. But then again, his scoring's never been great. Like, what's he maybe 60s or whatever? But if yeah. you want somebody, maybe it's like that could improve because West Coast are going to see small ball. There's just there. not enough free ball though, right? Like, That's he's the not problem, the designated like, and guy. And it's still like, I even temp, like, was tempted with Jaden Hunt. But he's just never like like he's shown it maybe one game at Melbourne when I think he played down there um, one time. But he's you know he's, like they've definitely got him on that half back flank role and they're going to see a lot of ball and stuff like that. But um, it's really hard to back in a guy that's never done it before. And you're like, oh okay, this guy at two eighty five, I'm I'm banking to go eighty five for a for a good period as well. So yeah, I think yeah no Zebel and just the idea that he can become a defensive option for you by round six. Um, yep. all going totally well agree. there so that that does because that then you'd hope Yo's still going and making this cash and hopefully turning into a maybe a keeper option down there um but or you hope we're hoping either one of Yo or z will become that so yeah yeah if it's let's just say wilmont or or um you know Sincotta or somebody like that after round six or even the idea that zebel you don't need to move him straight down to defense straight away like you might have you know, flick one of your forwards into the midfield or we might just get yeah, another rookie of off. But Zeeble maybe round seven, round eight becomes that option down there that flicks off then one of those defensive rookies depending on how you know fat those cash cows are. So, yeah. But it, it does give us some more flexibility there with moving our team around where I think your other option there was um, you know one more premium in that rookie. Yeah, you've got to really bank on that rookie turning out the way it wants and Forward rookies, are just it's just the way it is. We saw it last year. I, thought, I think Sheasel's a better version of Rochelle. Um, what was mm-hmm. and obviously went slightly more higher. Rochelle kicked five early. Was it round one last year? Yeah, I can see Sheasel maybe even doing that first round. West Coast, you know, maybe it's a they like it could be go both ways. They might get really defensive and really scared about getting the four points. Maybe it's more because it's a fast deck. They just let them play and stuff. Maybe Sheasel gets on the end and kicks five and comes out and scores. 100, 110 first game and that, but then what happens in two weeks later and that, and is it the same way, like, you know, Rochelle like pump, pumping out of 30 or something because, again, even though Sheasel gets up the ground more, he, he's still a forward in a poor team. There's a reason why they got him at, you know, such a high pick because they are a poor team and that, yeah. so you're relying on somebody that young finding his own ball 15 to 20 times and hit, getting scoreboard impact um, and, yeah, that's a big, big ask for somebody who's, you know, by them playing his, you know, third, fourth game of footy. Yeah, agreed. Um, now, I've got three more questions, um, so line them up. But uh, the first one is pretty easy one. Uh, which defenders in the 200 to 250K range are best 22 and have SC-friendly roles? And really, I think we've, we discussed this earlier, it's really only two, and they both play for the same team, which is um, Liam Jones and Hayden Crozier. Um, and what we saw in the weekend that Crozier looked great, but unfortunately, 
with the injuries to uh, Dereya and who else went down? Richards. Both went down early and then he even went down later in the game and, and played limited time on ground. It was really unsure to see what sort of role he's going to be able to do. Um, you know, is he getting kickouts because he, he was able to get that? I'm not sure. It's a real big question mark. And I think that um, Liam Jones, just with that interceptor role, obviously playing basically fullback, um, but he's a very good interceptor. A stat came out today that he averages 3.2 intercept marks per game, which is was league leading or something yeah, like that. Yeah, number one since 2019 with uh, Jeremy yeah. McGovern. Which basically to me just says, look, he's not going to be a light. He's never been great with his use, which is obviously the big knock on his game. But he's going to be able to get big scoring plays and points, which is going to tick along his score. So it keeps him, even if he's only getting your 50s to 70s or whatever it might be, that's fine. You're really just needing him to just make sort of 100K. He's probably not made, he might not even make you 150K. Might make you 100K, get you to sort of that 330 mark, and then you can get you know an underpriced premium with a one down, one up to a, someone around 500K, which which should be easy enough to do. So I think those are the really the only two options. Obviously, Caulfield is is another one there, but we don't know where Caulfield's at. It was this is an emergency. He might not be ready, but he might be ready early in the season. I'm not just not sure if you want that as a downgrade option at 210K. Um, I think he's 208K. So. Um, anything else to add there, or you pretty much yeah, spot on there? Yeah, oh, like I'm, I'm big on Jones. The moment I saw him in that first five minutes of the game, I'm like, oh no, he's straight into my team. Um, yeah, even if he's playing D two or D three, it did look like they wanted him to sort of more zone off more. Josh Bruce didn't seem like he had that much of a clue what he was doing down there. So if he's playing down there, I think that's more lockdown than with Alex Keith. Obviously, he won um, lockdown gorilla there, but they they all got the ability to intercept Mark, but um, Liam Jones is last five years average between 66 and 77. So you know what you're getting from him. We really prefer it, obviously, in those 70s to get that 150K. But even at that sort of 66, it's going to be 100K. So at like worst case scenario, it, like it's not too bad. And even a couple of years ago, like, yeah, he threw in um, like a, um, a really terrible like 12. But then he had like 147 because he got on the end of a lot of intercept marks and stuff. And that's the thing with an intercept marker. You always got the chance to walk down there. Like the, yeah. And that's what happened on the weekend against North Melbourne. You know, they're bombing it in, um, you know, a weaker team there and just zoned off all, all day and that. So he he's going to get a game there where he probably is going to go 100, 110 and just that cash gen is going to fly. And then it doesn't really matter if he goes, you know, a couple of games of 50 and stuff like that. Because you know he's he's making the money that we want him to do. We're, we're really looking at him as that sort of eight week option. He's not going to be a keeper for us, but intercept marks are you know worth gold in super coach. So I think he's definitely pretty well should become like a locked in option for most teams at D four. Um, the only other one I'd consider is Nathan Wilson from Fremantle. Um, yep. If you wanted a real, um, you know, he's always had the ability. I just of don't know really, if he's best twenty two. That, that's the problem, like yeah. how Frio sort of set up if everybody's back. Um, we know they've had a few injury issues and that, but, you know, crossing over from the GWS, he's always had the, uh, um, you know, and was he bent Frio now for two, three odd years? He, but the injuries have obviously, you know, really hurt him. But he has been a guy that can go 75, 80, um, does use the ball, can use the ball well, when especially if he's out in space there, bringing it out a half back. So, yeah, what two sixty three k? It's not a terrible. If you if you knew that he was locked in in that best defence, 
at that. I think you could do a lot worse than going Nathan Wilson. But yeah, is he best 22 is the, is the problem. Yeah, of course. Um, all right. So one last one before we get to the actual last one. <laughs> um, and and I, apologize, from... I think he said 200 to 250K, but, nah, I'm, cheating there, but I mean, look... I'm cheating there by giving you an extra 13K option. Not really. Yeah. Um, which underperformers are you still considering from preseason matches? Um, I think for me, I'm, I'm like I'm still probably still considering Tim English, even though I'm fairly certain on wits. Um, yeah, he obviously didn't have the greatest game, but I can't. Even though he didn't have the greatest game, he still scored an 85. You know, he's not going to be completely terrible. Um, that's one that I'm definitely still looking at. Uh, outside of that, obviously, Cogs didn't have the greatest game. Still considering him, but I have. He's not currently in my team. There's just some guys that have just sort of come to the come to the furore and taken over. Or I was looking for specific things from these guys, and then I saw it, and then I went, "Okay, it's locked in." So, someone like a Ridley, for example. Like I was looking at him all preseason as a guy that, if of the 500k guys, he's the one that I'm really hot on. Um, if he gets the right role, because I think that he could even be the number one defender, which is just insane considering that the talent that we've got in defense um so a lot of those guys who did do that for me were fantastic the guys that are sort of you know i know that people are still looking and say jack Steele, thinking that that was just a whatever but he just doesn't look the same to me so yeah i wouldn't say there's anyone that i would say actually no here's the one cunnington so a lot of people will look at cunnington's score and say i'm not picking cunnington he had 79 points what they don't see is that he had 27 disposals in his in the first quarter. He had a negative DT to SC ratio, like negative 20 or something like that. So he was always playing catch up. Um, didn't have a single tackle. Now I don't know if if anyone can tell me the last time that he had a, didn't have a single tackle. So he's running around in you know in first gear, maybe second gear, racking up 27 disposals without a tackle and just going oh well. And he had the second most CBAs. So just quietly. Cunnington slid under the radar of a lot of teams, so underperformed, but I'm heavily considering in my starting team. Yeah, okay, so that's where mine in particular becomes, like I've got Siebel by five, we talked before, and I've really looked hard at going Cunnington, Landers or Cunnington, Radigalia, um, yep. because I, th- yeah, I was looking at going, how can I ignore somebody who... In, and he was kind of like, yeah, he butchered the ball a bit early, which is natural. You come back first game in a, you know, what he missed all, pretty well all of last season. Um, yeah. You're going to be rusty at that. And, and it was a little bit of bruise-free football. Like, as we just said, like, Lockie Jones took 11 marks and, and stuff like that. There was no, yeah, nobody was going in that game to get hurt. They were getting the moles in the legs and stuff like that. It was, come round one, Ben Cunnington's going bang in that midfield. He'll be tackling the first West Coast player that gets the ball. And that yeah. a, that's how he plays. So yeah, I like even if he was the butcher at that much, and I don't know actually if he had that many clangers on the weekend and stuff, but it was just it wasn't not as much of a contested game as it, it normally looked. And even like LDU's completely gone off a lot of people's radar because um of his score on the weekend and like, you know, oh, they're all back and, and that. But yeah, just watch that game and it's it wasn't your normal contested positions. Uh uh, actually, he did have he ended up having sixteen. Here we go. Been cutting in sixteen contested positions, but he had nine clangers. So yep. that's obviously going to really affect your score. And that I was so watching him go, man, he looks good. Tackles. Man, he looks good. 
man, he looks good. And then look at the score. I'm like, that's that's really real. Yeah. That's that's great because a lot of people won't look into the stats. Mm. They'll just look at the 79 and go, oh, well, he's not an option. Yeah, so you've I, given I personally a... think he's he's arguably the. Oh no, only there we go. Sorry, it's four. Sorry, four clangers. I'm only the wrong side. It's nine clearances, four clangers, but and then yep. a free kick um, against two. So it's oh, yeah. my bad there. I was just looking at the wrong club, but still, um, with that many. But I think we... his disposal efficiency was really poor, though. Yeah, his... it was. It, um, yeah. What are we? Seventy-four uh, percent. Uh, so it wasn't. It but wasn't. That's great. pretty good. Even, uh, <laughs> it's not too bad, but it's still. Like I'm gonna gather. But that that can also be judged differently too, depending if he's just completely like kicked down that forward line and just picked out Liam Jones compared to like you know scrubbing a kick twenty meters and it's you know a little bit different. But naturally, first game back, it was always going to be like that, and and the Bulldogs did absolutely dominate them um, as expected. I'm just trying to find uh, LDU here. Um, oh yeah, so it was LDU yeah. had six clangers for that. So ah uh, yeah. It, yeah, I knew he had a lot as well, and even he only laid the two tackles. So it was a lot of bru- you know, bruise-free football for for that game. I'm just trying to look at total tackles for the match, 87. Um, yeah, yeah. So it, it just was one of those matches, and I think yeah, if it, that's what I wanted to see. Like, can Cunnington get the ball, and he did. Um, well, like you could even argue 69 percent CBAs for for Cunnington, yeah. which is way more than I thought that he would be mm-hmm. looking at this season. I, I thought it would be more like 50-50. But if he's getting 70% CBAs, what's he averaging? Like, he, he could be 100 plus. Like, yeah. so, I mean, at like his even, value. Even, even Zebel, like I've heard some people going like, you know, even I personally thought it was probably an underperforming game with just the 15 touches. And I think he had a couple of clangers in that as well. So, you know, uh, like it wasn't the performance maybe people were looking for. But again, like, they were sort of like, okay, we'll, we'll go through the motions here, do what we have to do and that. And um, But the, it's all about the role. So that's what we were, we've talked about in the past. And and that's what I was watching clearly. So Zeeble had his role, you know, kick outs in that back line, doing what he came to and playing CBA midfield. Um, what else did I want to see? Finn Callahan around the ball while wing all day. Good enough for me. I wanted to see Nick Dacos get tagged. He got tagged. And that, how did it, how did it work out from there? Not what I wanted to see there. So Jack Steele, my issue there, a lot of people are like, oh, you know, he time on ground and everything. It's kind of in first gear, which is true. But it was more how St Kilda played. So he has, you know, the fact he could slim down and still get nine tackles, a fantastic effort. And that he still got him. pushed off the ball by Whitsmill Setterfield like it was nothing. The, the problem <laughs> with me, yeah, with that is okay. The way they were playing through that ball movement, it, it's kind of was like St Kilda and Essendon had swapped game stuff. Essendon a bit more precise with their ball move at St Kilda were really rushing it through half back and through that midfield where last year I felt like still even a couple of years before that you know he would be able to lead up and take a mark if it's not contested position or one of those midfielders sort of slow ball movement into that forward line and that and yeah they were definitely playing it was a very un-Ross Lyon style of footy because um, we always think uh, Fremantle how boring did they play but remember St Kilda didn't naturally play that way that they were a very good team around the you know that 2010 period um but ross Lyon's big thing as a coach is you know i'll use my players with their strength so you know rowan marshall he's an actual ruck he's playing in there um yep. you know maybe they it's better they've got like max king if he's fit and firing now obviously not here at the moment but when they was probably putting that game plan in place 
we've got a key forward one out that's going to probably beat everybody. What do we need to do to get the ball up quick? Um, if he doesn't get it, it's over the back. We've got Butler and Higgins. Like Higgins was getting goals out the back, left, right, and yeah. centre, and that. And that's his ability to do that. So they've got forwards that if the ball hits the deck and it gets in there quick, they can do some damage. So they've got to get that fast ball movement in. So um, that's what I thought of Sinclair and, and Steele. Um, I was a bit worried about that because um, I think they need a more contested game style to get the best out of their scoring. So, um, yeah, uh, that they were probably the ones on the opposite where the ones that probably stayed in my team, I, as I said earlier, I didn't think Yo played that well. He, he did look like um, probably struggled a little bit for fitness and everything, but he still stayed in my team even though, well, he came back. I did take him out, um, but put him back in even though it was – kind of an underwhelming performance but he didn't spend as much time on fit that time on field probably just working him back in and he did finish strong that last quarter was strong by him so that that yeah when Cedarfield wasn't playing on him and I, no I was just talking about yo and oh that, okay yeah, sorry yeah so that's somebody who was like even after an underwhelming performance um because I think that what 78 or 80 what he ended up yeah it was it was really poor halfway through the second or third quarter um and he really kind of junked it up Big time, but I do like the fact that a player can still junk it up when they're having a bad game. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of what I was for. Nice. Um, all right, last uh, last one, and this is pretty much going to be a summary uh, because a lot of people have asked about Goulden, and so I suppose this was you know a little bit fitting to sort of go with this. But um, the question is: is is Goulden a trap? Now, I think he might. I don't think it matters if he is or he isn't because of the price point. Because it's, it's quite easily to, to you know have thirty grand to go up to you know three other guys or fifty grand to go up you know it's, it's not necessarily that it was it could have been a trap when he was in four percent of teams but now that he's in twenty four percent of teams it mitigates the risk to be able to pick a guy like that because the upside's huge while the downside is just you sideways into another guy in round three right so you know I don't think it's so much as a trap but it's not necessarily a must have pick either. It's a guy that can hurt you if you're not on him, but you can also get on him pretty efficiently. Like if he goes big in rounds one and two, you're probably going, say, a, a Cogs or a um, or a Taranto down to him anyway. So what's the worst that can happen? Is, is, is he, you know, it costs you a trade if you don't have him. Worst that can happen the other way is it costs you a trade if you, if you do have him. It's not a huge trap pick like, say, a, a Whitfield of old or, or a Kelly who, you know, does a, um, pulls the soft tissue and then for the next six weeks is in and out and in and out and in and out. Like those are trap picks. I can't see this hurting people that bad that it's going to go that good or that bad for anyone either way. So for me, it's not. But what are your thoughts, mate? Yeah, to me, a trap is, as you said, with the injury, um, if they're injury prone of that. And that's where I was warning off people saying picking two before. Or it's if you, there's no obvious person to go to. So somebody's like, okay, maybe a cheaper ruck like Draper. What's the full part? Of going trapper if you've got Radicalia as your R2 and that where where do you go from there? There's no there's yeah. no one to move to. Golden, as you said, if you if you're somebody who keeps a bit of cash um going in the season, it's really easy to get up to Toronto or say that's the, the option you are fighting between. Uh for me, if or I Cunnington if or... I don't start Cunnington, it's straight away I make sixty K just go down to him if Cunnington's the one performing and that and that's where I've sort of been balancing going. Or do I not start Cunnington and and just he's the backup in case one of these forwards don't perform. Um, and then if Cunnington doesn't perform as well as that, well, it's fine. I've made the right choice there. So, yeah, the, a trap only becomes a trap if there's nobody to go to. 
Um, and, and that's where I think we've always talked in the, about those mid-price options. At least this yeah. year, uh, it's a lot easier because like the forward line, we were talking before, like if I go to Fife and Bruin goes off, well, it's a, it's a straight swap, it's fine in that. Yeah. Um, even if like we're going center field or, you know, or there's a hopper or something, there's still Sheed and Horn Francis and Warpool and there's multiple guys. Um, Yo maybe is probably a little bit more, but it, it, that's the harder one because um, there's no one obvious to side swap him to, but everybody's on him. So it doesn't become a track because yeah, of the ownership exactly. percentage. Yep. Um, so yeah, you're right. And this is where we said before about the pod situation with say Brody or Liber or, or one of them. Um, yeah, we're not as confident maybe with a you know, Tom Mitchell or, or one of those blokes. Probably, probably at least there's still you know Tom Green below if you weren't starting them. But let's just say you went, um, you know, Chad Warner or again one of those four eighty guys in the midfield. There's nothing unless you're going way below. There's nothing to obviously you know might not be swapped to. So that's where you get yourself in trouble, especially if there's no ownership. Um, I'll give a shout out to my wife here. She was on the Essendon pod replaced you that day. So she had Goulden in before the first practice match and that and um, was giving me updates because I didn't watch a lot of the Sydney-Brisbane game. She's like, I told you, get on Goulden, get on Goulden. So naturally I put him in and then, yeah, he exploded again for a second time. So but on, honey, I'm beating, beating everyone Good on stuff. that. But it means absolutely nothing because everybody's jumped on now. <laughs> well, um, I think, I think but, uh, the overwhelming um, theme of, of what we've sort of gone through today and it's Mammoth Pod, and I hope you guys, if you're still here, congratulations is you need to be quick to react at the end of the day. All these mid-prices and great picks that everyone's, you know, looking at and getting on, that's fine. But this season more, yeah, and last season, obviously, but you need to be quick to react. The early season trades to stabilize your team, get the right decisions and picks in, are going to be crucial to set you up long-term. So if Gordon doesn't end up being a pick, you need to get off him really quickly. If Tetterfield doesn't end up being a pick, you need to get off him really quickly. And none of this waiting until round five to start, you know, doing sideways trades or using boosts at that point to do that, et cetera. You need to be precise and, and direct with your trades as quickly as you can. Once you identify that they don't have the role or the, like if, if, if it comes out in round one that, yeah, Goulden's only getting, you know, 25, 30% CBAs, and he's playing mostly wing and his, his scoring is capped, get off him because he needs probably 40 to 50% to be a viable option as a, as a permanent keeper. Um, you know, those are the sort of things that you'll wait. Now, luckily for everyone listening to this podcast, they'll have us to tell them that. So <laughs> that's a good thing. No, but... no different to housing market, shares, crypto, you name it and stuff like that. It's those who, you know, if you jump on um, before everyone else and it's, it works out great and then you're ahead of the game and that. And if you if it fails miserably, then obviously, yeah, you you find yourself in trouble on that. But the more people that are on with you, um, it does lessen the blow, but then you don't get the rewards. And that's where I know people talk to us about, you know, is it worth jumping on a pod? Um, and that's where I always think it's better to try to stay with the crowd as much as possible earlier on, because I think that's what ruined me. Um, so my only, of my last four years, I think I've been the top thousand, no, the last five years I've been the top thousand four times and inside the top 500, three of them. But the one year I wasn't, I was on, I think it was on Matt Crouch and Rory Sloan's pods. Nobody else was on them. And they both go down within the first three weeks. So bang, everybody, there was players that, because there's always rookies come round three. And that's the first time we're really using our two trades. Correction trades that there's some rookie or some mid-pricer that we haven't jumped on that we have to jump on. 
But if you're using trades to correct because you're on a pod that gets injured or has really underperformed, and you've got to correct that while everybody else is doing corrections for somebody, you might miss that player that's going to go up 80K that week on that. So usually you want to try to stay with the pack as much as possible. One, two pod differences in your starting team, fine. So where you really jump up is then when those trades as the season goes on and making them at the right time and the jump on the end. So good in the start, no problems at all, but as Chris said before, and that if for whatever reason he fails those first couple of weeks and that, bang, you've got to move him on. If it was a failure like, and I'm not saying necessarily, yeah, he comes out and scores a 75, but all the roles fine, that's fine. Players have bad games. Yeah. And I think too many people jump off because of that. But let's just say he he's only still got his 10% CBAs because Mills and Parker and Robottom are all in there. And that then it's like, this guy doesn't actually have this role. Bang, jump off, find the guy that does have the role. Uh, so that that's where it's important. Absolutely agree. Uh, that uh, wraps us up, guys. Uh, thank you very much for uh, for tuning in and uh, thanks for all your lovely questions. Um, obviously, hit us up on all of our social platforms at SC Insider 100 for all Supercoach-related content. As I said, we are going to be pumping out more and more and more as preseason comes to a close. And then we look forward to the almighty start of round one. It's next Thursday, right? I think. Yeah, I'll be there. MCG, bring it on. Nice. But um, thank you very much, guys. And we'll catch you again next time. Cheers. The C is for the courage I possess through the drama. H is for the hurt, but it's all for the honor. A is for my attitude, working through the patience. Money comes and goes, so the M is for motivation. Gotta stay consistent, the P is to persevere. The I is for integrity, innovative career. The O is optimistic, open and never shut. And the N is necessary, cause I'm never giving up. See, they ask me how I did it, I just did it from the heart. Crushing the competition, been doing it from the start. They say that every champion is all about his principles. Carry. Bye.